is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Season's greetings. Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome back to our beautiful festive set today for Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. We've got a great show coming up. Uh, This is actually going to be awesome, folks. Um, We've been, we promised this to you last week, obviously with everything happening on Friday with Paul Maurice, pushed it back a couple days. Uh, But with everything going on right now and not very many games for us to talk about, what a perfect day for us to welcome in the legendary voice of Winnipeg Blue Bomber football from 680 CJOB, Bob Irving. Bob's going to join us uh, a little bit later on in the program. uh, And we will talk to our good friend, Murata Tesh. He will bring holiday greetings to our WST crew, as well as talk about the latest with the Winnipeg Jets and you know how this team has looked in the very short time since Paul Maurice left the club and Dave Lowry took over as head coach. Um, he's got a great piece in the athletic that's up right now. And I will stump for Marat cause I know he won't. Uh, but a little athletic subscription might be a great gift for the Jets fan in your life. If you don't have one or that person doesn't have one already. So Marat Tesh coming up a little later on and coming up in a few minutes. We will speak with Bob Irving. We'll talk to him about the incredible 2021 Grey Cup win, the 2019 win, and, uh, of course, his incredible career calling Winnipeg Blue Bomber football games since the early 70s. And, uh, of course, what's next for Bob as well? Probably just a few cold beers and some R&R and enjoying retirement. We will get to all of that coming up a little later on. Um, Right off the bat, I want to thank all the sponsors that uh, support us every day. And if you have the opportunity to support them around the holidays, we'd really appreciate it. Tell them that the boys at Winnipeg Sports Talk sent you. Of course, I'm talking F Apparel, Vita Health, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, all that bomber championship merch is in, by the way, over at Royal, not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, and Cool Bet Canada. So uh, let's get the thing going. Let's get Remus in here and uh, fire it up. Remus, how are you? What's going on? Yeah, sorry about that uh, intro. Kind of threw you under the bus. I didn't hit. I had to do a quick restart and didn't have everything set up properly. But people on the uh, the podcast don't care about that. They can hear us. We're good. I'm feeling good. Us taking it one day at a time and uh, trying to figure out like what shows I'm going to catch up on. Uh, I've got some time off now. No, no Jets tonight and tomorrow night. So. I don't. There's also no other hockey games. I want to watch hockey, and there is uh, two football games today. But if they were anything like yesterday's games, I'm not going to want to watch those. Oh, but I may force myself because of football. <laughs> well, the, the ironic thing about this is that those games were so bad yesterday. Well, I shouldn't say it. the Browns Raider game was bad, but it was bad in a watchable way. Um, you know, it did come right down to the end, and I got to give the Browns a ton of credit for the way that they came back in that football game. Um, but just a, I mean, a vintage Cleveland loss. Um, you know, the Cleveland Browns fans sort of feel like bomber fans felt for 29 years before they finally went. Like, how is this going to go wrong? And when is it going to go wrong? And, you know, Nick Mullins goes in, they go up, they, their car throws the interception. They think they've got it. Very conservative play calling. They give the Raiders the ball back. And as Carr said, after he made that interception, he said to his defense, just get me the ball back and we will win this football game. And that's exactly what they did. A devastating loss for the Browns with how tight that AFC North is. 
and a season-saving victory for the Raiders, who uh, are very much in the mix, although I think it's still uh, you know, probably a stretch to see them making the playoffs considering how strong the AFC is. The Vikings-Bears game last night was, and I mean, that was a train wreck. I mean, the Vikes weren't very good. Uh, the defense played well. But my God, the Chicago Bears had drives. I think they had six drives inside the 30 and at least four in the red zone that resulted in a grand total of zero points. Part of that was getting down early and needing to go for touchdowns. Uh, but Justin Fields did a lot of great things. Uh, and of course, it comes down to they score a touchdown on the final play of the game. But because it's the final play of the game, they don't have to kick the extra point. So anybody that had Minnesota minus seven won. Anyone that had Bears plus seven lost. And if literally if there was one second left on the clock, they have to kick the extra point. It's a seven point game. So definitely a bad beat, depending on what side of the line you were on. But Remus, there are so many people that were forced into watching those football games, first of all, because there was nothing else to watch. Second of all, they are in the fantasy football playoffs. And I have to tell you right now, as someone that's played fantasy for over 20 years, this playoff week is the most bizarre week we have ever had um, with when are the games being played, who's in it. Um, like everyone, I guess we're just making the most of it. But uh, we got a double header tonight and a lot of people's fantasy lives are on the line. This was the weirdest uh, week of fantasy football in a while, just with everyone uh, being out. And oh well, we will move on to next week, but not after uh, after tonight. Wait, we got what Rams and uh, who's the other one? Seahawks. Rams, Seahawks, and yes. Eagles. The WFT, my and... NFC, my favorite NFC team right now. The WFT without half their team taking on the Eagles. Uh, but again, the, these games are well for most people watching are more about probably betting and fantasy football than they are the playoffs although it's a huge game for the rams um they need to keep pace and try and get to 10 and 4 uh and as far as philly and washington this in some ways is almost a loser leaves town match because at the end of it all um washington can actually be in a playoff spot if they win this football game if they don't they're you know in with a a ton of other uh teams really with a long haul to come in with just three games left in the season. So thankfully we do have NFL football tonight. Tomorrow's going to be crazy. Reem. Uh, no games in the national hockey league. It'll be the one day this week. Well, I guess Friday we won't have NHL games. Um, but yeah, that will be a very, very slow day on the docket. Um, we'll of course have a show tomorrow. And I think what we'll end up doing really. And, and I know there's been a lot of talk about the NHL shutting down and, a lot of hot takes, a lot of virtue signaling, a lot of those sorts of things that kind of come with social media. Um, but the World Juniors are still a go. Um, and I think we're all thankful for that. Give us something to walk through at the holiday season. It is somewhat of a tradition for Canadians to watch our top young players. Cole Perfetti, of course, yesterday was announced as the assistant captain of Team Canada. Caden Gooley of the Edmonton Oil Kings, who we saw actually score his first goal for Edmonton in that Ice Oil Kings game last week that we went to has been named the captain. But the next couple of days will give us an opportunity uh, to bring in a few of our favorite guys to talk about junior hockey with the top prospects when it comes to this event uh, that'll be a draft eligible as well as some of the top drafted players. Well, there'll be Team Canada's hopes. And of course, Winnipeg Jet fans, very interested to see Team Canada and especially Cole Perfetti who will have that A on his chest. 
Yeah, so that's still going on. Nice to see Perfetti got the uh, you know got the A yesterday. He's been practicing on the top line, so it's certainly something to watch. Uh, Boxing Day tradition, and yeah, we'll talk with Shane Malloy, Hockey Prospect Radio, and uh, Scott Wheeler from the Athletic uh, about that one. But we did, has we still did have a Jets practice today? Last one, they moved it to nine a.m. Getaway day, and they all want to be with their families. Um, some good news. Nate Schmidt, he returned. He was on the ice. Um, he had an illness, non-COVID, wasn't in protocol, but I don't know. Did he have bet? Maybe he had a bad. Uh, I wasn't gonna say Chipotle, isn't that who had that earlier this year in the <laughs> NFL? Someone was it Godwin? I forget who it was who said that. But um, uh, no more see Lowry, Gus, and Spetchnikov. Lowry in a maintenance day, and uh, David Gustafson, the Gus bus. It's coming back, Hus. Uh, yes. Boxing. It should be back Boxing Day, and they play on the 27th. So uh, nothing too notable. Uh, Mike McIntyre tweeted a bunch of guys were practicing uh, right-handed shooting, uh, including Nikolai Ehlers. I mean, got to get those additional skills up. Imagine if they did have another right shot uh, with with Wheeler out. But, um, yeah, just uh, just your average uh, practice day, right, Hus? Yeah. <laughs> apparently. Apparently. Listen. We're getting into, I mean, these are all crazy times. And, you know, players today, in particular, Kyle Connor and Connor Hellebuck, were asked about the um, impending announcement that um, NHLers won't be going to the Olympics. And the reason why those two players were asked is because, of course, they are the guys that, um, you know, were pegged to be pretty much shoe-ins for participation in the Olympics. Nikolai Ehlers is another one of them, but dude, uh, Nick didn't, uh, Nikolai didn't, uh, didn't speak today. Um, and listen, I know there's been a lot of talk made. If you've seen uh, a clip, I know um, Billick tweeted out a uh, a very small st- snippet of one of Hellebuck's quotes that's got a lot of people fired up. I would suggest to you all, um, you know, listen to the entire entire thing because listen, he like many people are frustrated, um, but you know, certainly I think that the uh, there's more context to it than just one line that you might see in a 140 character tweet out there. Um, Bottom line is this team is dealing with uh, it like everyone else is. Um, And I think in pro sports, things are being dealt with quite differently. Um, You know, I was just gushing over the fact that we've got two NFL games to watch. Well, the NFL has kind of changed their protocols. The NHL, I imagine, may do that going forward. But I think the biggest thing right now, and this is for the best intentions or the best case for everybody involved is to see how things go in this next few weeks with uh with this omicron variant i mean the case numbers are going to be very high uh but certainly the hopes are and again this is just the best case scenario and i think we've seen this somewhat in south africa right now is that it'll be a highly contagious but low consequence variant um and we won't have the stress um that people are fearing on the healthcare system and if that's the case i think they will be able to get back to Hopefully business as usual into the month of January. We'll be able to have people in the building again. Uh, But for right now, that won't be the case. Best case scenario, folks, is that coming out of Christmas, the NHL season will resume. We'll have the Minnesota Wild playing the Winnipeg Jets on Monday the 27th. And that game will be played with 50% capacity. Um, One of the other things that we're going to be following over the course of the next couple days and I think hopefully maybe tomorrow on the program when uh, tomorrow on the program when things uh, have been announced and released to season ticket holders, first and foremost, but also anyone that had a ticket for these games, is how they're going to figure out going from a full building to 50% in the matter of a few days over the Christmas break uh, before the 27th. And as I mentioned yesterday, 
having quite a bit of experience in that line of work, working for teams and particularly on the ticketing side of things early in my career. That is just a nightmare scenario for everybody. And uh, I'm, you know, listen, I'm feeling for first and foremost, doctors and nurses and people that are dealing with this. Um, but, you know, people have been throwing real wrenches and curveballs into their daily life. If you're in that line of work, I don't think anything could be more of an issue um, than trying to figure out how that works, who gets to go, who doesn't get to go. And I think it's a big reason why they needed a few days to figure out how they're going to do that. Because as far as I can remember, anything like this is somewhat unprecedented and uh, many Canadian teams are dealing with it right now. Yeah, and we're seeing a pretty serious um, situation in in Quebec. So they are, sh you know, they're shut down there. Well, and we'll wait and see um, how it goes here. And, you know, we hope they can return and you know, I was listening to the athletic podcast, which uh, Marat was on, and they were speculating, wondering if we would end up going back to a temporary Canadian division because they're worried about um, border crossings, which I think is the reason uh, for, you know, for this pause here. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're taking the it one day is, at I a time. I think Pagnotta was right. I mean, Dave Pagnotta, and if you missed yesterday's program, we talked about a number of these issues with David. Um, and, you know, from his understanding, and I've heard this from some other spots, the, the, the reason for the no cross-border travel um, was essentially to prevent, you know, if guys did get test positive when they were in the States, for instance, and then their families here in Winnipeg, like say the Jets went down to Dallas and played the game and a couple guys tested positive, well, they've got to stay there. And then they're not able to come back and be with their families over the holidays. So I really think that that is the case. By all accounts, the NHL is intending on getting back to business on the 27th. Now, it'll be much more difficult for the teams in Canada that have to deal with the ticketing issues for uh, for smaller buildings. And who knows? I mean, I'm not a scientist. I'm not part of the government. God knows I got nothing, no skin in that game. Um, and if it comes in, and we've heard there is a circuit breaker in Quebec right now after they've had a massive, massive rise in number of cases. Um, and I guess that could happen. And then, you know, you're talking about potentially playing in empty buildings or potentially not playing at all. Certainly, I hope it doesn't come to that. But, uh, you know, what? there's no games right now. We're sort of dealing with this. There's new news by the hour, it seems. Um, and we'll stay on top of it here and, uh, you know, have the, uh, have the latest on it. But uh, the last thing we want to do, right, especially right now at the holidays with hopefully people in generally good moods is turn the chat room into a fire, uh, just, you know, a, a basically a dumpster fire of COVID takes. So, uh, so all of that is, uh, that'll be something, and we'll touch on it a little bit with Marat, but I'm looking forward to talking with Marat because, as I mentioned, got a really neat piece on what we've seen from the Winnipeg Jets since Friday morning and Paul Maurice moving on from the hockey club, what Dave Lowry has done and what this might mean heading into the resumption of the season, as well as when a player like Blake Wheeler gets back into the lineup. So, all that coming up. There is some good news, though, for Bomber fans, Remus. And that is, and I don't think this is a surprise, um, but Mike O'Shea has said thanks, but no thanks to the uh, Edmonton Elks. Was not interested in interviewing for the coach and GM position. And it sounds like it's going to be Chris Jones going back to Edmonton. One of the most controversial and polarizing figures, I'd say, in the Canadian Football League. But certainly a guy that has had a heck of a lot of success wherever he's gone. And uh, he's heading back to Edmonton where he won a championship. Yeah, Farhan Lalji tweeted out yesterday. He said, the Elks did reach out to the Bombers, as you said. Um, and he said, no. He said, nah, I'm good. He's happy with what um, is going on here. And 
Farhan then speculated if he'll sign an extension with the Bombers. I think he's got one year uh, left, Hustler. But the Elks did announce today they brought back Chris Jones. Kind of leads me to wonder, like, why did they get rid of him only to bring him back as GM and coach? Um, well, they didn't get rid of him. Oh, sorry, he moved on to he Saskatchewan. He walked out on them a yeah. week after winning the Grey Cup. Sorry. I don't even think he stuck around for the parade. I, I forgot about that. Yes, he did leave, like, immediately. And then... Uh, it was earlier this year when he signed with like his h- former high school and said it was a dream come true dream job and left in the middle of the season to go become the Argos like D coordinator. It, uh, actually, it was a consultant at that time, I oh, believe. Okay. So then, yeah. So then now he's on to the, so I forgot. Yeah. He, we were, we remember we made a ton of jokes actually that they hadn't even had the parade and he was on his way out. To he Saskatchewan. was in Saskatchewan, so, you know, doing a deal, doing a deal to become the coach and GM and, we all remember how that ended up in the Saskatchewan with him, um, you know, pissing a lot of people off, promising some things that didn't happen, and then moving on for a job at the Cleveland Browns, which uh, he, uh, you know, was in for a couple of years. And then, yes, I, Chris Jones, a very interesting dude. And I'll say this, Edmonton needs some stability. I'm not sure that he's bringing that to the organization, but he definitely will bring excitement. And I think he'll bring some results. I'll guarantee you right now that the Elks will not be as embarrassing as they were this year with Chris Jones uh, on the uh, on the sidelines, as well as the guy responsible for bringing in player personnel. Um, and the other thing that's important with all the firings that they had in the CFL still does have the cap when it comes to management. Um, they needed to find a guy that could do two jobs. Uh, and I don't think he's going to be paid accordingly like what you would pay a GM and a head coach and give it all to him. And that'll be scaled back a little bit. And they frankly have to because Brock Sunderland's getting paid. The president's getting paid, although I don't believe that counts on the on the cap. And then, of course, Elizondo, who was the head coach as well. So uh, you knew there'd be some significant changes in Edmonton. That was guaranteed to happen. The good thing is that at least so far, it hasn't involved anybody from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I know we talked a lot about Mike O'Shea, uh, but the other guy in the mix was the assistant GM, Ted Gavaya, who I would imagine would be a phenomenal candidate to run a team, considering he's been working with Kyle Walters, putting together a championship squad that's gone back to back here in 2019 and 21. Yeah, I think that's what you always see that happening Hus, uh, in football. The more success you have, someone's going to try to steal your you know, one of your coordinators and Paul Apolice became uh, the coach of Ottawa before. And you hear teams interested in Ted Govaya, he's maybe the number one, you know, GM candidate available now or available or um, Danny McManus is some, you know, one of those guys going to leave. We'll wait and see. But I think it just speaks to uh, the bomber success that they've had. And they become the envy of uh, a lot of the other organizations. And, you know, Buck Pierce stepped in for Lapolis and it seemed to be going okay. So you hope that, you know, if they were to lose someone, uh, they'd be able. Someone else would be able to step in. But uh, the, yeah, the CFL offseason, uh, you know, week after the Grey Cup, uh, well underway. So, um, well, so yes, Chris Jones, the news today, and I think all Bomber fans breathing a sigh of relief that Mike O'Shea didn't didn't jump because we we oh, did talk definitely. about that last week. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, you, you hear that, and and I can't remember who it was we were speaking to. I guess maybe it was Hamilton. Um, you know, it said, you know, would Mike O'Shea want to be a general manager or was he, you know, happy being here, being a coach of a championship team that has the opportunity to come back for a three-peat? I think, you know, he certainly loves being that coach. 
Um, but at some point might want to be that guy. It's just great news for Bomber fans that that time is not now. Um, and for, by all accounts, he'll be back. And hopefully most of this team will be back. The one thing that this Jones arrival in Edmonton is going to do, um, you know, I don't think people are going to trust Chris Jones, like the Edmonton fan base. They kind of know what they're getting, but they also know that they're going to be getting a guy that's going to produce some winning football and get this team back to a bit of respectability as they turn the page from one of the most miserable seasons in the franchise's history going forward. Um, you know, we're going to talk CFL, and it's going to be such a great chance to, to have Bob Irving on the program. Um, you know, of course, Bob has, um, you know, finally stepped down as the uh, longtime voice of Blue Bomber football here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. Uh, and uh, really, really great opportunity to come and get him onto the onto the program. So we'll do that in just a couple minutes. Um, before we do that, I do want to thank our friends over at F Apparel. Uh, lots going on right now with Christmas right around the corner. Um, if you have an event coming up in 2022 that hopefully we'll be able to actually go to, uh, it might be time to get a new suit. Every guy needs a suit that fits and looks great. You know what the best way to do this? Ask for an F gift card. Gift cards come in any dominant denomination and all gift card purchases in store of $150 or more come with a free tie or digital gift cards bought online right now get a 15% discount until Christmas. So you can buy a $200 GC for only $170. Uh, you can pop in and purchase or get them online at fapparel.com. And uh, I'll tell you tomorrow about the massive Boxing Day sale that'll begin on the 26th down at F Apparel. It's ephapparel.com, or you can see them down at 190 Smith Street. Um. Yes, the uh, it was last call for those amazing free-range organic turkeys from our friends at Vita Health. Uh, but Vita Health Fresh Market is ready for the holidays. Uh, of course, the uh, hours, they're open 9 to 6 on December 24th. So anything you need last minute for Christmas dinner, you can get that over at Vita Health, then closed on the 25th and the 20 and the 26th. Um, a Vita Health gift card going into the week and going into the new year might be a great gift for someone because, of course, Vita Health, not only a great local company that's been in business for since 1936, 85 years of empowering people to lead healthy lives, uh, but they are the spot that um, you know has Winnipeg's best selection of local, organic, and natural groceries, supplements, and beauty prices and beauty products, all at great prices. And they do have some organic, plant-based, gluten-free, and natural holiday fixings for your Christmas dinner, stuffing, cranberry sauce, baking supplies, peppermint-flavored mar uh, marshmallows, eggnog, chocolate, and much more. Uh, stop by any one of the seven locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, at Vita Health Fresh Market, or online at myvita.ca. And of course, our friends at Culligan Water Ready, they've got a great deal for December as well. $9.99 water services for three months. Give the gift of Culligan, get hydrated. And of course, they've got it all when it comes to uh, water. They've been the experts in Southern Manitoba, family owned for 65 years. Um, water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers and whole home systems, drinking water systems, citywide delivery services, and of course, commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Uh, give them a call at 204-694-5180. Go see them at 1200, Sergeant, or find out more online at drinkculligan.com. Uh, but the deal right now, tell them Winnipeg Sports Talk sent you at $9.99 water services for the first 
three months. All right, we'll talk more about jet practice today. Very much looking forward to talking to Murat Atesh about his latest piece in The Athletic on uh, the Jets under Dave Lowry and you know what we'll be looking for coming out of the holiday break. Uh, but it was an absolute pleasure to welcome in the longtime voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving, to the program. Caught up with Knuckles a little earlier this morning uh, talking about the Bombers' Grey Cup victory and his amazing career as the voice of Blue Bomber football here in Manitoba. Here it is. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome in Bob Irving of uh, 680 CGOB, almost five decades as the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to Winnipeg Sports Talk for the first time. Bob, uh, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, happy holidays. How are you? I'm fine, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Should I call you Andrew or should I call you Hustler? You should probably call me Hustler. I don't think you ever really call me Andrew, but my mom does every now and then, but yeah, uh, you know how it is. Um, you know, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, you know, with your retirement, there's so many things I want to ask you about the, you know, your time as the voice of the Bombers and some of your Bomber memories over the years. But, you know, considering everyone's still buzzing from the big Grey Cup win, I figure we yeah. should start off with the 2021 Winnipeg Blue Bombers and, uh, I mean, how about that finish out in Hamilton? Could you imagine a more appropriate way for this defense to win a championship than a walk-off pick with three guys touching the ball on the final play? Yeah, and I think an appropriate way for the team to end what was really a magical season, Huster. You know, it was, I was sitting there watching the game like everybody else, and when they were down by 12 in the fourth quarter, I'm thinking to myself, it can't end this way. This should not end this way for this team because this is a special team. They've had a special season, and they were 11-1, and had won nine in a row before they dropped those two games at the end of the year that didn't mean anything in the standing. So they just, and the way their defense played, all the records they were setting and everything else, I'm thinking if they, if they lose this game, all the great stuff they've done this year is going to just be swept aside and forgotten. So it was perfect. And the West final, of course, was sensational too, right down to the last play. And then the gray cup with the pick in overtime and, you know, the unlikely comeback and the hostile environment they're playing in. I mean, it's just all kinds of storybook stuff. You couldn't have written a season like this uh, for the Bombers if, if you tried. No, you're right. It was it was magical. And I think everyone that was at that West final will remember that game amongst, you know, their, their most exciting and fun and special sporting moments. I mean, yeah. for your final official call on OB to be that West final game. I mean, uh, I don't know whether you had a deal with somebody upstairs to have the most thrilling, incredible, <laughs> wild day, uh, but you got, what do you remember about that last game? And what will stand out to you thinking about that cold afternoon in yeah. December of all months uh, where the Bombers booked their ticket back to the Grey Cup? Yeah, December the 5th. Well, there's so much I'll remember about it. The, the pregame ceremony where... I was put on the ring of honor, which is still something that I sort of can't wrap my head around. And it's so humbling. And then it was cold. And it's funny, the, the days leading up to it, Doug Brown, who does the color with me, and I we were kidding around. And I kept telling him, you know, Doug, I've always worked with an open booth. And it doesn't matter how cold it is. We have to have an open booth. So you have the ambiance of the crowd and you don't have the echo with a, a closed window booth and that sort of thing. And Doug would say, well, what do I have to wear a snowmobile suit? And I said, Doug, whatever it takes to keep you warm, just come prepared. So we kibitzed about that all week long. And you know, it was cold. It was super cold. Fortunately for us in the booth, there wasn't much wind. And so, you know, we were fairly comfortable, shall I say. And then the game, you know, Hustler, I'm always amazed in these cold temperatures, how well these athletes can perform. I mean, it was minus well, it was below zero with wind chill, right? 
And then you got Kenny Lawler and, uh, you know, Darvin Adams making these sensational catches and uh, Calaris firing the ball around as if it's plus 15, you know. And so I just remember all the elements and I'll remember the crowd, too. I mean, there were 31,000 people there and they were having a ball. The atmosphere was just fantastic. People were celebrating and screaming and cheering. And so the whole thing was perfect. Honest to God, it was perfect. And then. The riders come back in that final drive, and you're thinking the same way with the Grey Cup. Don't tell me the Bombers are going to lose this game to Saskatchewan. That wouldn't go over very well. And then uh, they make that great play to break up the pass at the end, and everybody goes nuts. And so it was it was really wonderful. And, of course, it's the most recent memory I have of a Bomber game beyond the Grey Cup, and it's one that I'll I'll remember forever. You know what? I was going to ask you about the Ring of Honor afterwards, but you mentioned right up. Did you know that you were going up on the Ring of Honor? I mean, I knew they were going to do something for you, commemorating your incredible run as the voice of the Bombers. But uh, like, when did you find out about that, as it were? And uh, what was your reaction when you knew? I mean, it was about the greatest honor one could have being involved with this football club. Well, there was a luncheon that uh, the Bombers had for their corporate sponsors and major advertisers that Wade Miller asked me to MC, And I guess it was about a week before that game. And I said, sure, no problem. And uh, at the end of the luncheon, after I spoke, uh, you know, he came up and announced that they were putting me in the ring of honor. And I was just, as, as Doug Brown and I used, used this term, gobsmacked. I couldn't believe it, really. I was, I had no idea. Um, I, I was taken aback. I said to Wade, you know, I don't deserve this. And he said, yes, you do. And so what am I going to do? I say no. And it was just, <laughs> no, no, it was, it was overwhelming, Husser. It really was. And I, I never imagined anything like that would ever happen. Um, and it was just, and I had my family there, my kids and some of my grandkids. And uh, it was really a, a special moment. One that I'll never forget. Well, and, and of course, I mean, uh, you know, everyone packed in that stadium, bundled up, ready for the Bombers to go at it with the riders of all teams with the trip to the Grey Cup yeah. on the line. And you had this great ceremony, you're inducted into the Ring of Honor. And then you get up into the booth to call your final game. And the Bombers turned the football over five times in that I first know. half. I mean, I much like you said in the fourth quarter in Hamilton, it can't end this way. I yeah. think everyone was feeling that way, certainly in the stands, and I'm sure you were as well. But, man, only being down three points at halftime after yeah. a half like that, I think everyone felt a lot of confidence in this team. But I I'm interested in your perspective. Like, if that had happened, say, three years ago, before yeah. 2019, yeah. I really do think that the entire vibe, at least around the stadium, would have been very different. I mean, what do you think that 2019 victory did for the Bombers going into this season? And how much of this year was really just a continuation of the championship squad that was put together before we got into the pandemic and lost a season? Yeah, I think what happened in 2019 when they had that run at the end and won those road games in Calgary and Saskatchewan and then won the Grey Cup in convincing fashion in Calgary, I think that sort of catapulted them into a a space, a headspace where the players, and you're right, most of them came back in 2021, which was critical, by the way. Uh, you know, they just felt, I don't know if invincible is too strong a word because it probably is, but they just had so much confidence. And we saw it on the field all year. And, you know, Mike O'Shea said repeatedly after that West final, yeah, we turned the ball over five times in the first half, but we were down by three points, three points. 
And so, you know, the guys are sitting in the locker room and thinking, wow, geez, we're only down by three and we gave it away five times. Why can't we win this game? We'll just go out and clean it up and come back and win. And that's exactly what they did. And I think that confidence, that belief was built in 2019, particularly at the end of the year. And then you bring all the same players back with the phenomenal leaders they have, Huster. I can't say enough about the leaders. And it all starts with O'Shea, of course, at the top. And then you've got Brandon Alexander and Calaris, who's kind of a quiet leader, but very much a leader. Uh, Jackson, Jeff Code, Willie Jefferson, you know, and Adam Big Hill. Wow. You know, they have a, a group of veteran leaders who keep everybody in line and keep everybody on point and believing, you know, that we're going to go one and oh this week and all that stuff. It really, you know, I've never seen anything quite, quite like it. I haven't in all the years I've covered the team. I've never seen a team as focused and co committed to a common cause as this one was. And, you know, I think we saw that and as bleak as it looked in the Grey Cup, they found a way, you know, and that was really the, the story of this team. You know, and I, I mean, I think back to, you know, the end of the Joe Mack era and uh, moving on into, uh, you know, another rebuild after so many disappointments yeah. um, and bringing on, I mean, Wade Miller, I think there's a, deserves a ton of credit for the way he's handled okay. things as the leader. Yeah. I mean, Kyle no Walters, question. Kyle Walters, the job that he's done as a general yeah. manager, I mean, you just ran, ran down the list of players and all-stars that this team has yeah. that, that led to back-to-back -back championships. But man, Mike O'Shea has built a special culture. And I know you've got a special relationship with him. I mean, if you can, give our listeners a little bit of an idea about Mike O'Shea, the guy that maybe they might not see uh, at the podium, often, you know, saying very similar things. We're just winning the next game going on because you would know that. And certainly we've seen Mike kind of be more himself once the job is done. Of course, he's finished off on a great note in 2019 and 21 with the Grey Cup win. So here's what I'd say, Husser. When Mike came here, I think he was uh, like a lot of former players, I mean, a little suspicious of the media. Maybe suspicious isn't the word, but a little standoffish, a little guarded about uh, you know, what he said to the media. And then they go five and 13 and seven and 11 in their first two years. And that would make a, a coach even more kind of reluctant, reluctant to open himself up. Then they started winning. And I, I think you saw Mike relax a little bit. The advantage that a play-by-play -play person has, particularly in this case with the head coaches, I spend more time with them. You know, we do a daily interview and then we do a weekly hour-long show during which we get time to, just talk off air about different things. And one thing about Mike is, you know, you see these people and you think they're all football. Mike's not all football. He's just a sort of a normal guy in so many ways. He's very worldly. Uh, he likes talking about things other than football. The time we spend together, at least half of it is about things other than football. And he's just a real salt of the earth guy. And I feel fortunate to have had the chance to get to know him a little better uh, than the rest of the people in the media and certainly certainly the general public. And I have all the time in the world for Mike O'Shea. He's one of, of all the coaches I've been around and the people I've been around in football over the years. He's either at or near the top of my list in terms of being people. You know what I mean? He's a great coach, obviously, and a great leader of men. Boy, I'll tell you, he's a great leader of men. And we've seen that now, the way he's molded this team together. But beyond that, He's a good guy. Hustler, you'd love having a beer with him. Honest <laughs> to God. And you'd get along great with him, too. <laughs> you know what? I mean, the uh, the times where I've had the opportunity to cross paths with Mike, it's always been a pleasure. You know what? It honestly does, you know, is it game week? Or is it a day before the game? Or are you, you know, is it in the winter at a jet game, uh, you know, outside of the season? Um, because he is all business. But it, you talk about that leadership and the connection that he has with his club. I mean, I'd be interested in your perspective on this. Can you remember a bomber coach 
that had a more close relationship and was more beloved by his players over your time than Mike O'Shea? No, probably not. Uh, every coach has his own style, as you well know. And Cal Murphy would not have been beloved by all his players. But Cal <laughs> had a style. Understatement. Yeah, Cal had a style that got got the best out of them. And you know, I mean, I have nothing but admiration for what Cal did. He was a terrific football man. Dave Ritchie had a good relationship with his players, but it's really unique with us. Mike Riley too. You know, Mike was an easygoing guy who was a real players' coach. But it's just different with O'Shea and I. I have a hard time describing it, but he'll sit down with these guys, and I haven't been there, but I've heard the stories with these guys one-on-one, and relates, he relates to them as, as humans, like, and he wants to know about their family and what's bothering them or what's good in their life, and, and there's just a, something there about his personality that the players warm to, they're attracted to, they respect him beyond words. The fact he played and is in the Hall of Fame, I think, helps too. But it's the way he carries himself and the way he deals with people. You know, in, in the world we live in in particular, you hear this about coaches all the time. They have to relate to the athletes today. And Mike relates to them in a way that is really, really unique and very special and one of the reasons why they're so successful. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Bob Irving is our guest on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Bob, I, I want to ask you about 2019. Because, I mean, this was such a magical season, start to finish, and you beat up on the Ticats in the Grey Cup rematch, and you run through pretty much the regular season, clinch it a month before the end of the regular, end of the, the, the schedule, yeah. and then you win the Grey Cup. 2019 was very different, and it was a very, very good team. Quarterback issues, Matt Nichols injured. I still remember being on the air. As, as the trade deadline, and we got this announcement at 302 that the Bombers had acquired Zach Caleros, and you know, off the cuff comment going, well, wouldn't it be great if the Bombers actually had to give the Argos this first round pick, meaning that he stuck <laughs> around? That would probably mean something really good happened. I mean, yeah. when you think back to, um, you know, to that season and where the team was, what they'd shown, but what they went through, the acquisition of Claros playing one game and then that playoff run, where will that stand out in your career as, yeah. um, you know, maybe one of the most special months in blue bomber history especially considering 29 years of baggage they brought into that playoff run yeah well it's right at the top i go back to 84 hustler remember they had a 22 year great cup drought in 84 and that bomber team in 1984 was sensational they had uh, i don't know how many hall of famers a lot of them on that team and so that was a very memorable moment but uh, so 2019 you're right nichols gets hurt and chris Treveller takes over and then you know they don't play quite as well with him as they did with Nichols because frankly, Strev was not as good a quarterback as Matt Nichols was. Uh, but, you know, we all love him because of the way he played and the things he brought to the game. And then they acquire Calaris. And so I'm thinking, you know, I remember back in 2014, 15, 16, when Zach Calaris in Hamilton was as good as any quarterback in the league. Bo Levi, I don't care who it is, Mike Riley, he was as good as anybody. And then the injuries and the concussions and everything that set him back, uh, and, you know, his career drifted off and the, the year he had in Saskatchewan, he was 10 and four as a starter, but they wouldn't let him throw the ball downfield or do some of the things he does well. And then they ship him off to Toronto. And so the Bombers acquired him because uh, Nichols was hurt and they weren't sure about Straveler. Uh, but they brought him in as kind of a, they were going to go with Straveler. I mean, that was the plan to stick with Straveler um, because he was giving them a chance to win. And he had that option of running the football. And Calaris was just kind of a nice insurance piece. And then Streveler has the broke, messed up ankle. And Calaris is forced into action. And you talk about serendipity or however you want to describe it. And you know what? It rescued the Bombers that year 
but it also rescued Zach and his career because most teams, I think, had given up on him uh, because of all the things that had happened in the two or three or four years before that. So, yeah, it was, and then that run, you know, they won that last game against Calgary with that throw to Darvin Adams in the end zone where Calaris <laughs> does all the spinoramas and zipping around and everything. And right away you're going, that's one thing Matt Nichols can't do. He just can't do the things that Calaris did in that game. That's no knock on Matt. That's just reality. And then they win in Calgary, 30, whatever it was. I remember the game in Calgary. They're down at halftime. And I'm thinking, same old here in Calgary. They never win in Calgary. They're going to lose this game just like they do. Every. It's funny, these negative thoughts creep in. And then they come back and they steamroll the Stampeders in the second half, go to Regina and win. Yeah, I mean, that was the beginning of this. I use the word magical time the Bombers are in right now. But getting Zach Calaris was massively important to this whole thing turning out the way it has. You know, you remember, I mean, you just mentioned that pass to Darvin Adams in the final regular season game. And that, if you recall, was the weekend that the Jets and the Flames were playing in Regina in the Heritage Classic. And I will never forget it as long as I live. We were in, I don't know, a Moxie's or something like that. And it's a busy place. I mean, the city's pumping for this game. And it literally is half Jet fans and half Stamps fans. And People are sort of paying attention to that game and people literally coming out of their seat afterwards because most Bomber fans had never seen Caleros play. Like, wait a second, this is that guy. And I don't know what it was about that one play and that win, but I think it gave a jolt of energy to the team and certainly the fan base. Um, But again, as you mentioned, you know, those subsequent wins to get them to the Grey Cup and then the win in the Grey Cup game, Bob, I mean, in Calgary. Yeah. Um, they were an underdog going in in Hamilton. I mean, they were 15-3. It was a hell of a yeah. football team. But I yeah. mean, the one thing that I will remember more than anything is just how the Bombers kicked their ass on the line of scrimmage on both sides. I mean, think back yeah. to that game. At what point did you believe, wow, th- these guys are going to get this done because they are absolutely throttling their opponent where the games are won and lost? Well, you know, I knew their offensive line was the best in the league and their defensive line, if it wasn't the best, it was close to being the best. Although Hamilton did have a very good team. Huss, there's no question about that at 15 and three, and they deserve to be the favorites. But, you know, if you were around the Bombers that week in Calgary, you just got a sense that there was a real confidence. And a lot of the players were sick that week too. But I know Mike O'Shea told me, I think it was the Friday, which is the last full day of the practice week. He said he had to hold them back. Uh, they were so fired up and had just so full of confidence and desire to get out there and prove everybody wrong. And then, of course, Andrew Harris has the massive game that he has. But Zach Calaris really was sort of the key to the whole thing. And, and here's the other thing about him. When he came from Toronto, he fit in so well. And, you know, uh, Mike O'Shea knew him from Toronto because he had him in Toronto. Mike was an assistant in Toronto, Zach's first couple of years in the league. So he knew about this guy and he knew he was a good guy and a quality guy and all that but he fit in so seamlessly to their quarterback room. He learned their system so quickly uh, and the players all, you know, were attracted to him and were impressed by him right from day one. Cause he was a team guy first. And so, I mean, the story is almost too good to be true about landing him at the last minute on that trade deadline and all the great things that have happened since. Back to back great championships for a guy that a lot of people thought maybe shouldn't play again because of the injuries that he'd had. Yeah. And, uh, uh, it's great that it turned out the way that it did for Zach and certainly for the Bombers and definitely for the fans here in Winnipeg. Bob Irving is with us. Bob, um, you joined what CGOB in 1973, just a young pup reporter. What uh, what do you remember <laughs> about getting that job? And, and if you could tell us the story, I mean, did you go there to be the voice of the Bombers or was no. this, uh, you know, in the contract, they say other duties as assigned. Was, was this another duty as assigned that started this Hall of Fame career? 
Well, first of all, I'll tell you how I got the job. And this is where fate intervenes in your life. And I've told this story many times. So I was working in Brandon at CKX and I had met Ken Nicholson during the winter uh, at a junior hockey game. And Fryer, as we knew him, uh, was the guy in charge of sports at CJOB. And I got to know him a little bit. So in uh, June of 2000, uh, sorry, June of 1973, I have a chance meeting with him in the parking lot at the Grail Golf Tournament. And we have a little discussion. He asked me how I'm doing. I said, I'm doing okay, but I'm still looking for a full-time sports job. And he said, hey, you know what? A guy named Kenny Rogers just quit our department here at CJOB. Why don't you send in a tape? We had tapes then. Hustler, remember that? The days when we had tapes? <laughs> yeah, I do. Send in a tape. And you know who knows? So I send in a tape. Long story short, they hire me to be a, just a general sports reporter. But now my ship has come in because this is what I always aspired to when I got into the business was to become a full-time sports reporter, which I wasn't at CKX and Brandon. And then Fryer was doing both the hockey, the Jets and the WHA and the Bombers. And uh, he, there was too many conflicts. So they asked me, asked me if they told me <laughs> I was doing the football. And, you know, again, that's one of the wonderful things that happened. I was very lucky to get the job in the first place, to run into Fryer in the goddamn parking lot at Clear Lake, pardon my language, and then uh, get a chance to do the Bomber games within a couple of years. And yeah, it, it all turned out unbelievably well. And uh, I just feel very fortunate. I really do. Every time I look back, I feel like I'm so lucky to have had those things occur. What do you remember about the first game you called? Where was well, it? And what was the week like leading up knowing like, oh man, I'm I'm going into Friar's seat because yeah. this is going to be the same thing that happens to someone next year on CJOB. Yeah. Well, it was against Montreal. Dieter Brock was a quarterback. I don't remember the week leading up. I, I just remember when they said to me, you're going to have to do the bomber games. I said, well, I've never done play by play. You know, they said, oh, don't worry about it. It'll, it'll be fine. <laughs> okay. And then, so we're doing the game and the color guys, Kenny Plain, one of the greats of all time. And Jack Matheson and Jack Wells, who you remember, Hustler, two of the media icons, the biggest media giants in all of Canada, never mind Winnipeg, are also involved in our broadcast. So I just remember being so sort of intimidated by their presence and kind of hoping that I didn't mess it up and that I could somehow make this work to the point where it would be acceptable. And it all turned out pretty good. But, uh, yeah, I was 24, 23, 24 years old and... Uh, yeah, super exciting. I mean, that's such a long time ago. My memories are a little foggy about all the details, but I, I do remember how exciting the whole thing was. Now, I, I, you know, one other question about the business in that, I mean, I remember getting an opportunity to uh, get on OB and, you know, really to kind of start to what I'm doing right now. And I had no idea what the heck I was doing. Uh, Vic Grant was maybe our biggest uh, champion. Yeah. Kevin Lizard Wallace helped out in a huge, huge way. You were a massive help. And I also talked to Charles Adler a lot, who gave me a real great perspective on things kind of non-sports. Yeah. But I mean, looking back to you kind of getting into that, you know, you were already a reporter, you get to sports. Who are the people in your career, whether it be at CGOB or elsewhere, that helped you the most? Uh, and was there one sort of mentor or someone that, that really, really helped you um, become the man that you were and had the career that you had? I can't say there was a mentor specifically, but there was a guy at CKCK in Regina, which is where I, I grew up and lived when I was trying to get into the broadcasting business named Ron Barnett, who did uh, radio and TV sports. And I would watch and listen to him all the time. And I would think, geez, if I could ever do what Barney does, and I got to know him later in, in my career, and his nickname is Barney. If I could ever do what Barney does, that would be awesome. But I didn't try to pattern myself, Hustler, after anybody or, 
you know, I came to Winnipeg and Bob Pickin and Don Whitman and all the sort of the giants in our business were guys you just looked up to and admired and respected beyond words. But I just tried to be myself. You know, I, I described the game in my own kind of way, the way I saw it. I read a sportscast the way I thought a sportscast should be delivered uh, in my own voice, in my own style. And I, that's what I tell young people in our business today. Don't try to mimic or anybody. Just be who you are. Uh, I mean, I think that's what we all have to try to be in our business, because if you don't, you know, if you try to do it some other way, I'm not sure it's going to work out for you. So I can't say I I tried to pattern myself after anybody. I just tried to do the best I could. <laughs> Let me well, put it and, <laughs> and then, well, the rest was history. Bob Irving, longtime voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on 680 CJOB is our guest here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, you know, this team was so special. I know you've got a great relationship with Mike O'Shea and a number of these players, I'm sure, would be at the top of the list of some of the, the best Bombers we've seen. Certainly, we talked a lot about the historic nature of this defense. But Bob, looking back over uh, your career, not including this present Bomber squad, um, was there a player and or coach that you, I mean, if I had to ask you your favorite coach to talk to or your favorite player to talk to, and I know there was many of them, um, yeah. who stands out on that list? Well, it's such a long list, Hustler. That's a real issue when you've done something for almost 50 years. You know, players who spring to mind immediately are, Dieter Brock, you know, Dieter was an interesting guy, right? He was a, you know, some fans loved him and some didn't so much because of some of the things that happened with him, but he was a real super guy. I got to know him pretty well. I, and I still communicate with him a bit today. Joel Poplowski, Chris Walby, uh, you know, there were all kinds of guys in that bomber locker room who you couldn't wait to interview because you knew you were going to get some good stuff, right? We use the word good stuff in our business. You know what I'm talking about. Some good quotes. Uh, Mike Riley was a wonderful guy to be around. Cal Murphy was a, he was an interesting guy. I mean, he really, and I spent a lot, 13 years around Cal and I loved him. I really did. But some days you didn't get along with Cal as well as you might like to, but boy, he sure know how to put a great football team together. Milt Stiegel, uh, one of the all-time greats. I love dealing with Milt. Charlie Roberts, you know, a lot of guys in the media, people in the media, I shouldn't say guys, uh, you know, Charlie, you know, when practice was over, he was gone. And But whenever I got a chance to sit down and interview Charlie, I love talking to him. He was a really smart, interesting guy. And there's just a ton of them, you know, as the, uh, over the years, and I, I'll leave some out. Uh, Tommy Clements came here to play quarterback. I did a radio show with him for two years. And then Buck Pierce comes along and then Joe Mack here. And I did a, a two-year radio show with him and got to know him. What a wonderful human being he is. And so, I mean, I can make a long list of all uh, the great, uh, wonderful people I've dealt with over the years. And just so many, I, I can't even come close to naming a fraction of them. You mentioned Buck Pierce. I mean, uh, I, I was just watching him at that parade um, or the the celebration and thinking about what he went through, you know, as the quarterback of this football team with uh, an offensive line. I mean, he must have been so jealous when he saw this offensive line get rolled out in front of Caleros <laughs> the last few years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a takeover for Paul, Paul Apelis and to be able to continue it going and getting uh, getting that ring. So happy for Buck. I'm glad you mentioned him. And I'll say yeah. this, uh, Charles Roberts. I mean, when you go into the greatest bombers of all time, um, I mean, his career, a lot of people, I mean, if you hadn't followed the team back then, I mean, you maybe not heard about him because he is, he was maybe one of the great enigmas in blue bomber history. But as far as a football player, Bob, I mean, right up there with the best that ever did it. Well, you know, they lost that 2001 great cup game and Charles was a rookie that year. And I know, 
the coaches after that game said one of the regrets they had was they didn't use him enough in that game. And then, of course, in subsequent years, he went on to be a, a superstar. He's one of those players, and there haven't been many over the years, who could lift the fans out of their seats. And Charles Roberts did that time and time and time again. He would disappear into a pack on a running play and emerge the other side, you know, with his legs you know, moving wildly in this little guy, he's five, seven, 170, 75. And he was tough. He was tough. I mean, he'd take hits and get right up and he wasn't injured very often. He was a sensational player. One of my all-time favorites as a player, really. And I got to know him a little bit and, uh, and he's a quirky guy. Fair to say, Charles was a little quirky, a little bit different in some ways, not necessarily bad, but uh, no, he was, he was a dynamic player. And I go back to those Cal Murphy days where Tyrone Jones and James West and Greg Bell were playing linebacker. Those guys would lift people out of their seats with their defensive play, much the way Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat and Adam Big Hill would today. Oh, Bob, you know, the uh, you mentioned that 2001 team that Roberts was on. And I think certainly people of a certain vintage or age always think back of that team as the best team that didn't win. Um, but I would imagine that those early 90s teams, um, you know, 92, 93, maybe 94, yeah. Yeah. also in that conversation, the thing that was so different, I mean, I, I was younger, but I mean, you know, you win in 88, you win in 1990, mm. and they had already won in 84. I mean, if you, you know, were young enough, you didn't really know of the 22 deficit. You know, you get to be nine, 10 years old and they're winning great cups and they do it every couple of years. But after that, I, how would you compare the, the 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 team in 01 that didn't win to those teams in the 90s? Because I think that because they won in 1990 and then you had this 29-year drought, those yeah. early 90s teams often are forgotten unless you're looking at the record book and some of the players that played there and Dunnigan and, you know, what I'm saying. Well, yeah, those uh, 92 and 93, they were in the Grey Cup uh, both those years, and, and those were sensational teams. The problem with Dunnigan was, as you know, Hustler, you know, he got hurt and, and missed some games. But when he was on the field, I remember the night he passed for over 700 yards. I'll never forget it. It was, and there were only 25,000 people at Winnipeg Stadium. The game wasn't televised. It was a rematch of the Great Cup game against Edmonton from the year before. It wasn't televised, which is unfortunate because Matt was sensational. But that, man, those were terrific teams. The offensive players they had, uh, David Williams, and uh, um, I don't know, I could go on and on about them. They were, they were fantastic. And the 2001 team, Remember, they won 12 games in a row, finished 14 and four, and played an eight and 10 Calgary team in the Grey Cup. Uh, and, you know, there was no way they were going to lose. I'll never, I'll never forget going in the locker room after that game. And I've never seen a bomber locker room where the players were not just disappointed and sad, they couldn't believe what had happened, that they had found a way to lose that game after the 14 and four season. So yeah, those were some great teams and people have asked me often, what about this year's team? How does it compare to some of those other wonderful teams? And I go back to the eighties with Tom Clements, man, Joe Poplowski, uh, James Murphy, uh, you know, Rick house, those teams were loaded with talent, but this team this year had some special ingredient that to me set it apart from some of those other teams, you know, and of course they finished it off in the right way, but I, I go back to the O'Shea culture and the, the leadership and the focus and the never deviating from here's how we're doing things around here. And uh, yeah, this team will always hold a very special place in my heart.
Well, uh, and you will hold a, a special place in every Bomber fan's hearts. And, and I have to ask you just on this way, you talk about this season. Um, and I think this goes back to 19. It goes back to, you know, the hard work that built was built, you know, in the office. I mean, the Carol and, uh, you know, and Wade, yeah. all these people that I, I, I just find that there this relationship between the Winnipeg Blue Bomber Club, the players and the fans right now is as special as anything I've seen in my lifetime. D- do you get that as well from yeah. the booth and just being around uh, around the city? Yeah, I think there's a love affair with this team, and it's partly the way that they've sort of risen from the ashes. And Wade Miller gets a ton of credit for this. You brought him up earlier, Hustler. When they hired him in 2013, he said, okay, I know how we I know how we make this right. And it might take some time and it might take some patience. And thank God he had patience because after 513 and 7 and 11, you know what happens in pro sports, right? But Wade stuck to his plan and it's worked out beautifully. And then the way they won in 2019, the dramatic way, you know, with injuries to Nichols and Strevler's got a broken ankle and Calaris comes in riding on his white horse. And I think, you know, people just fell in love with the team. And, and again, the way it was portrayed by Mike O'Shea and the, the class that they have in this organization now and the culture they've developed. And it's easy to fall in love with this team. And of course, it's easy to fall in love with a winner. That's the way sports works. We all know that. Was, Wade Miller told me that on the Monday after the Great Cup this year, they sold so much merchandise. It was in six figures on one day. Uh, so people can't get enough of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers right now. And it's a wonderful thing to see. It really is because, you know, and you've followed the team for a long time, they've had their ups and downs. And there were some times in the, before Mike O'Shea and Wade Miller and, the, and this gang took over where things weren't going along very well. But you know what, Hustler, there's a core of fans here, and it's a large core who love this football team, uh, good or bad. And it's woven so deeply into the fabric of this community dating back to 1930 when it was formed that uh, it it will always have a special place in the hearts of people. But the bandwagon fills up when you win championships, and it's pretty full right now. Well, there's no doubt about that. But, I mean, I'll say this, and this even predates winning the Grey Cup in 2019, the job that they did to make the games more fun, to to bring in younger people. I mean, I've spent my fair share of time down in Section 140 and 141, and, uh, you know, it's not just a bunch of 25-year season ticket holders that we're finally waiting. I mean, they've turned it around. They've made it fun. They've made it cool to go to games, and – uh, I can't say enough about what that's done. And, and on the other side of things, the players, the way the players have, bro- I mean, they seem to be thankful to be blue bombers. I mean, whether it was started with, uh, you know, uh, Yoshi and Hardrick jumping into the stands or Andrew Harris. I mean, I think I, I believe, let me ask you that. I think Andrew Harris's free agent signing is probably the most significant free agent signing that the bombers have made. I mean, culture wise on the field, we've seen what happens. Where were you on that? Am I missing somebody? No, I think it is too. Uh, and he, his time was up in Vancouver. He wanted to come home. I remember interviewing him his last year in Vancouver. The Bombers were out there for a game and and we knew that his contract was expiring and there was lots of speculation about it. he might not be back with uh, the BC Lions. And and when we asked him about that, he was quite coy, but it, it was clear as you read between the lines that, uh, yeah, return home would probably be in his cards right now. And, you know, he came back, he was in his late 20s uh, and you wondered how many good years he had left. But man, oh man, he's been a big player in turning this franchise around. You know, he and that Oak Park uh, trio, the you know, the guys who went to Oak Park High School. Uh, but Harris has been, his signing was huge. I agree with you, Andrew. It was probably, 
And they've signed some key free agents, but he would be number one for sure. Well, yeah, I think Eddie Tate, or maybe it was Willie J that that coined them. What it was the King, the Prince, and the Duke from uh, Ed's piece and uh, <laughs> of Oak the Oak Park guys, and and that yeah. is special. I mean, that can't be yeah. overlooked. And I mean, I think maybe it goes back to my point about the connection between the team and the players and the fans. That yeah. is something that Winnipeg was missing for a long time during those lean years. And uh, I mean, first and foremost, you got to be able to play. And man, those guys can play. But it really is special. And that's just another thing I think that connects this team and this community. In addition to winning back-to-back champion. Well, and when the players keep saying repeatedly that they love being here, and part of it is that they're successful in winning, and all players love that. That's obvious. Uh, Michael Shea's a big part of that too, but. You know, Willie Jefferson, come on down to Winnipeg. That that was a very key free agent signing too, Hustler. I'll tell you. And that one, I think, caught a lot of people in the league by surprise. The Rough Riders thought they could probably get him back, but the Bombers did a great job of, uh, you know, working with Willie and convincing him that this was a good place to be. And now it's come on down to Winnipeg. And you hear all the players saying that now that uh, this is where I want to be. Stanley Bryant could go somewhere else, but he doesn't want to be anywhere else. He wants to be here because the guys on the old line are all so close. And that's why I think they will get most of their key free agents re-signed, just as they did after 2019. Number one, they'll pay them fair, fairly. And number two, they want to be here. They want to be around each other. And you know, you hear that about the family atmosphere and the players' love for one another. And you get a little cynical and maybe roll your eyes. But there's a lot of that going on here. There really is. And that's a big part of the success that they've had. No doubt about it. Bob, thank you so much for doing this. Um, well, now, I, I guess was was Wednesday, was the Grey Cup celebration, was that your sort of final official public role as the uh, as the voice of the Blue Bombers? Well, as far as I know, yeah, unless there's something coming down the road. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm retired now, and, uh, you know, I'm still going to follow the team and go to some games next year for sure and all the rest of it. But uh, I have no plans other than – to be retired and have more of my own time to myself, more time to play golf if my aching back will allow me and uh, just to make my own schedule, I guess, in the summer hustler where I'm not committed to be at practice every day and don't get the impression that I I didn't enjoy that. I enjoyed everything I did and, and still do. And I still love doing the games. Doing the games is the most fun thing and that's what I'll miss the most. But uh, anyway, I'm just ready to move on. You know, I think you reach a point, I'm 71 years old, you reach a point where you say, look, I don't know how much time I've got left, uh, but I just want to kind of kick back and I'll decide on a daily basis, I'll decide what I'm going to do. And that's what I'm going to do, but I have no big plans. <laughs> well, I, uh, I cannot wait to see you at a game at some point next year and uh, just know yeah. that it's, buy me a beer. You're gonna buy me uh, a beer. Listen, more than one. In fact, we'll get you to we'll get you in the lucky whitehead row in 141 right behind. We yeah, got, okay. we'd have to watch a Hardrick or one of the guys jumping in after a touchdown. But uh, yeah. no, absolutely, right. Bob. You know, you have been um, you know synonymous with this football team for football fans for um, well for my entire life, and I just can't thank you enough for coming on right now. I can tell you with the chat with what we've heard from. Um, the gratitude and appreciation for the job you did, but more the person that you are. And, uh, you know, even in those lean years, how much fun it was just to listen to the games and listen to the coaches show and listen to the reports on OB. Um, you were a part of Bomber fans lives for this entire run and uh, you'll still be in their hearts. And we hopefully will see you in the uh, in the stadium. But most importantly, Congratulations on a Hall of Fame career. Incredibly deserved going up in that ring of honor. And um, have a great winter. Stay well, stay safe, have a great holidays. And uh, maybe we'll have a chance to uh, pick your brain on the Bombers next year at some point if you've got some time. 
I think I'll be available. Hustler, thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate it. Look, it's been a great ride. Uh, and as I say to people, the pleasure has been all mine. Thanks for having me on. All right. Um, man, that was just an absolute pleasure to have Bob on the program. Um, loved seeing how everyone was enjoying that in the chat over the course of the last, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes. I think everyone I could have gone for hours with Bob. Uh, but really appreciate him taking the time to join us here on WST. And it's great to see how much everyone was enjoying it. I particularly like Mark's. Uh, I, I particularly like Mark's quote that this was exactly the positivity we needed right now. So uh, that'll be good. Oh, I see. Hassa's mom is now in the chat. Suffers at six. Don't be late, thanks, Andrew. Oh my God. Anyways, thanks everyone. Appreciating the feedback on everything. Uh, and as Comet says, thanks for a lifetime of awesome memories, Bob. Uh, very, very well said. Um, hey, he's the best. Took some time to do us. And I, who knows? Maybe we'll be able to uh, talk some football with Bob at some point next year. But right now, it's time for him to uh, enjoy retirement, enjoy time with his lovely wife and his family at the holidays. And um, anyways, yeah, with everything else going on, it was the perfect day to do something like this. And um, appreciate the comments and the feedback. If you are with us on YouTube and you have the opportunity, hit that thumbs up. Certainly helps us. Uh, spread and grow the channel oh and during that we did get a nice super chat from uh, former marbles winner t-t-t-t-t-t-bone so uh t-bone thank you very much we appreciate that generosity uh we are going to talk jets with marata tesh coming up in just a couple minutes uh but a big happy holidays and wst greetings to our friends over at manitoba battery um, I know you might thinking batteries, booster cables, those sort of things might not be the sexiest gift. However, uh, when you need them, they'll be the best gift that you ever gave. <laughs> right now, they got a special on heavy grade 20 foot 500 amp booster cables on for only $69.50 down at Manitoba Battery at 1026 Logan. And of course, that's also where you will get the best price on a battery for your car in town. Don't waste your time at Costco or the big box stores. Shop local, get the best deal. Donnie, the Godfather, Kimbo, they're all ready for you down there to uh, take care of whatever you need. Of course, they've got incredible uh, selection of snowmobile and sled batteries as well, usually between about $65 to $75. So uh, great time. And hey, it's already cold. It's going to get colder. Don't be that guy that waits until you're on the side of the road calling one of your pals to come and bail your ass out get it done now and get that battery and uh, be ready for uh, the real Winnipeg winter, which is of course just around the corner. Um, and when we're talking about great Christmas presents, stocking stuffers and gifts for sports fans, which we all are one stop will get you fully taken care of. And that is over at Royal sports An incredible selection of blue bomber championship gear has been coming in by the day and flying off the shelves by the minute. So get on down to 750 Pemina Highway, get your bomber gear, uh, and they do have some exclusive models. Uh, I kind of saw, I mean, obviously the bomber store is a bunch, Royal has some of those. They also got a couple unique ones that I thought really stood out. So uh, anyways, make sure you pop down to Royal Sports. Jets gear, bomber gear, merchandise for your favorite team, anywhere around the world of sports not to mention they are the hockey superstore got great snowboarding gear as well and as well lots of really cool stuff over on the king skate snow and surf side of things for our friends at royal sports over at 750 pemina highway 
And a, a great holiday greetings to our friends at Not Auto Corp as well. Um, Trevor Not been with us since day one here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And, um, you know, the Not Auto Corp crew continues to grow. The Winnipeg Car Lab is now open. They just put up the brand new signage on the side of the building over there at Waverly and McGilvery, doing custom wraps, striping, tinting, rims, and more. And of course, when it comes to vehicles, over 30 Teslas on the lot right now over at Not Auto Corp. If you're in the market for a new vehicle, why not get into a the car of your dreams, really, at a fantastic price with the help of Not. You can also visit them online over at Not.ca. Um, we have got lots to come later on in the program, but I will announce that uh, Thursday's show is going to be extra fun. Uh, it will be the Winnipeg Sports Talk Holiday Extravaganza. One Paul Edmonds, voice of the Jets, uh, Santa, if you will, will be coming to grace us with his presence. We'll talk Jets. We'll probably have some laughs with Paul as well. And coming up on Thursday, you want to make sure you're with us live on YouTube. We will be doing our normal Friday marble race a day early because we're not on the air on Christmas Eve. So we'll do that for Canadian Club. And if all things go well, we will be debuting a live trivia game on the program. The CTO has figured this out. I don't have the details on it, but I'm fired up to do it. So Thursday, make a point, folks, of being with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. It should be great. And once again, thank you to Bob Irving for joining us today on WST. Now, I think I mentioned this earlier on the program, but I will do it again before Murata Tesh comes on because he's far too modest to do this himself. But while we're talking about Royal Sports and a lot of the great things you can get for friends here in the city of Winnipeg for Christmas, may I suggest another option where you don't even need to leave your house? And that, of course, is an athletic subscription. I just renewed mine this morning, got a great deal on it. They've got some good deals. So go to the athletic. And when you're there, of course, you'll be able to read all of the great Jess coverage from our good friend Murat, who joins us now on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Best of the season to you, my friend. What's going on? Oh, my goodness. I appreciate it. What a warm welcome. Having a great day. Glad to see you. I like the the tree in the background. I like, I have no idea. Can you share spoilers with me about this trivia game, or is it a little too soon? Well, um, I'll be honest. We have to ask the CTO about that. He's been telling me about it. He's been testing it out. For any of you to check out Remus's Twitch stream, uh, I believe there'll be a test of it earlier later on tonight. Um, so this is a nice little plug to go see Adam Remus on Twitch. Uh, usually he's just screwing around playing NHL, but this is going to be interesting. And we're going to try and roll it out uh, on a very fun show, heading us into a three-day break here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And now we hope to be back. Well, we will be back on the air on Monday. We've committed to doing a show. Uh, and I'm hoping that we have a hockey game to talk about that night. Listen, before we get to your piece about Dave Lowry and um, you know what we've seen, there's a lot to get to. What's your feeling on where we're at right now? Um, you know, I know Dave Pagnotta came on yesterday and said that, you know, this sort of early break with the Jets not playing in Dallas was kind of more to prevent really unfortunate situations where guys get COVID, even if they have no symptoms. I mean, they're, not, they're, they're feeling fine and not being able to get back across the border to be with their families. It certainly seems like the NHL is still planning on playing games after Christmas as scheduled, although here the plan is to have a 50% building. Where are you at and what are you hearing, Murat, on uh, what we might see of this season once we come out on the other side of Christmas and Boxing Day? 
I mean, it's tough to know how it all plays out, but first impression is I agree with David's interpretation. I think that the single most important thing was that people didn't have horrible holiday experiences, unable to be with their family for Christmas or the the holiday break, whatever their celebration of choice would be. Um, Think about Blake Wheeler when he just so happened to be in Minneapolis, St. Paul. He was able to get to his folks' spot, but he wasn't able to rejoin his team for a couple of weeks and get across the border to see, you know, his wife and kids for, for that portion of time. Had that happened now, I think that that would be a really sour and sad look. Um, especially with so many people across the NHL entering COVID protocol. I think that's a really important interpretation. It's an interesting situation right now, too. Um, Knowing that the league is so vaccinated, knowing that, um, you know, the Omicron symptoms, I'm, you know, if it happens to be Omicron folks are getting, um, have been mild by and large for people. And it's interesting to hear the Jets express their frustration. I know Connor Hellebuck did today calling the the shutdown overkill and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's tough to walk the line where you have room. I have room for empathy for the players going through what they're going through, how aggravating it is for everybody at the same time is also understanding that sure. The symptoms may be mild, but I mean, the fact that so many people have them, you know, they go to coffee shops, they, you know, interact with their families, they interact with people who interact with people who interact with people who may not be as healthy as they are. And I, and I still, I still respect, you know, the, the caution that the NHL is putting in place right now. Um, and then to answer your final question, I think the season continues. I think February is used as a time to make up for postponed games. Uh, and I think the NHL hesitates to pull, uh, to pull the plug on it as, for as long as possible. Yeah, and that was interesting. And I know, you know, it's important. And I suggested people, and maybe we'll even play it later on. But Hellebuck's comments today, I think it's important that people listen to the four minutes that he spoke. I mean, I know, you know, it's easy to take a clip of something and use one word like overkill. And then, I mean, you know, just cue up the the takes and the virtue signaling and everything that happens on Twitter about it. Um, but you know, I went back and listened to the entire thing and I guess everyone's got their own opinion on where we're at and what's happening right now. But, um, it wasn't maybe as nefarious as some people are trying to make it out to be if they heard it. So make your own decisions, listen to it. It's all up there. It's available for you. And uh, I think that you'll, you'll find, because it was funny. He was actually in quite, I mean, despite the fact that it started off with questions about not getting the opportunity to play in the Olympics and what's happening with not being able to play games right now. Um, it was actually a pretty lighthearted in, uh, exchange, um, you know, talking about, you know, the excitement about, um, you know, how many presents there are under the tree with this, you know, his young yeah. child. And then talking about how this drill at the end where he just proved to everyone that he is a faster skater than Neil Pionk. I thought it was hilarious. I thought he was out using gray spirits and having a good time. And, you know, the your stressing of context is so important. I, I love that you're pointing to that. You know, you can hear the reporter's question if you watch the full thing or get the full clip. You can hear the full answer. And it's so interesting because, you know, sometimes not not even the whole quote, but a couple words go, you know, around the Internet at times like these. Even when it's the whole quote, some context is missing. And it's important as an observer of sports media to recognize that there are two things that happen when this interview happens. The reporter comes to the room with a thought about what they might like to write about that day. They might have their own thoughts and experiences and moods approaching the moment. And so does the player. And those may not always necessarily be the same thing. It did seem like Connor Hellebuck, you know, from my rewatch of it, Uh, was in fine form and great spirits. And he's looking forward to having his first Christmas with his his baby uh, for the first time. So I think that 
that's probably the overall mood that he's in right now. Yeah, exactly. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but if you're wondering about it, just go listen to it for yourself before you fire up the take machine and uh, take it to uh, take it to the internet. Um, Marat, we spoke last week um, coming out of the Buffalo game. You had put together, you know, a, a really interesting article talking about Mark Shifley, talking about Paul Maurice. And then we get to game day and uh, the bomb is dropped that Paul Maurice was leaving the club. I, take us back to Friday. I mean, we haven't spoke on the show since then. Um, How did you find out? What was your reaction? And uh, just take us through uh, Friday for you heading into that game against the Caps at night. Yeah, I found out that morning, like everybody else, my phone blew up actually with people messaging me saying, did you do this? What did you know? How did you know? Um, all that sort of stuff. Um, can you come on the radio? They're like your, your phone just goes nuts and all of a sudden you're wondering what that's all about. So I check it and I guess because of the timing of Maurice coming to the arena, talking to the players, the press conference is in, I don't know, 15 minutes from that moment. So you're hopping in the car, you're firing, like you're hustling. Um, I ended up having to park and run. I arrive at that press conference out of breath towards the end of it to sort of catch Paul Maurice, you know, being the class act that he is. He thanking everybody, having such a positive kind of spin or, or perspective on things, saying that his time is done. And, you know, so my first impression was just sort of respecting that this has had to have been an extremely difficult decision for him. His children became adults here. He committed so much of his time here. You know, probably Blake Wheeler is the player that his legacy will be most associated with. Blake Wheeler achieved his prime here. So many different things. And then to think to yourself, to decide for yourself, you know, in, in consultation with the team as well, that your time had come, that it's somebody else's. I mean, that takes a certain type of wisdom and courage. And, and certainly I admire that. You know, uh, we heard from Sheveldayoff afterwards, and I thought that might have been the most interesting press conference that Kevin Sheveldayoff has ever done. I mean, we've heard from Sheveldayoff on a number of important topics, a number of things that we've seen. Wrench Doozer, thank you very much. The, the contribution to Bimerata Desk Fund. We, yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get on that. Um, but you know, in the context of what we just heard from Paul Maurice, hearing you know what was going on with Kevin Sheveldayoff, and the fact that Maurice mentioned that this conversation had happened in the summer. At one point, after the um, after the the sweep at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens, and what was maybe even more telling was that it had happened earlier this year. And Maurice was asked about, well, had they, you know, and then you guys won a few games, and he kind of made a point that that has happened. I mean, this didn't just come out of the blue. Paul Maurice didn't just walk in and say, "Hey, it's time." Um, and Kevin Chevaldeoff from there really putting it on the players in that. You know, I mean, saying that maybe some guys need to be uncomfortable. I mean, it, it was a very, very interesting presser from Sheveldayoff, and I think sort of peeled back a little bit of the curtain as to the uh, frustration and the challenges to the guys in that dressing room with what had happened with their head coach. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that you heard it in Sheveldayoff. You heard it in the players, too. The single quote that resonated with me the most was Andrew Kopp talking about, it's not necessarily that we got comfortable, but we struggled to become uncomfortable, I guess. Uh, um, and he, he expanded on that thought quite a bit. So, um, you know, again, context is important. But I think that that was the story. And I think a, a few players on the Winnipeg Jets team resonated with that. I think that this idea of you know, pushing some of the great players to be even greater, to having more accountability, to having more, you know, consistency of messaging, whether you're a first-line player or a third-line player. I think that that resonated with a few folks. And it wasn't just, 
you know, mourning the loss of a coach uh, from their dressing room who's moving on and resigning um, with pure emotion. I think that there was a sense within that day and within the Winnipeg Jets that there were some people, you know, within that team that sort of sensed the same thing, even if they hadn't said it out loud or perceived that Paul Maurice was about to resign, that it had been time. And to speak to that summer point that you make, Remember, there were a few days that passed between Winnipeg's elimination at the hands of Montreal and Winnipeg's exit interviews at the end of the year. I think that that was an important time of soul searching for Paul Maurice, for Kevin Sheveldayoff, for Mark Chipman and everybody, and the time that followed. And I would not be surprised if at that time and throughout the summer that these discussions about Paul Maurice's future were happening. You know, he had a club option at the end of the season. He was never going to be fired outright. His relationships are too good. Mark Chipman, you know, certainly so close with the man. And so there's such a mutual admiration there. But the idea of what his future was going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident was, and he so said as much, but I think that they had a lot of deep conversations about that topic as early as, as, as back then. So it wasn't a knee-jerk response. Now, um, so Dave Lowry's the head coach. And, you know, it's a very unique situation. And I've sort of compared it a few times to the Vancouver um, situation this year uh, and how different they are in that, you know, Vancouver dropped a bomb inside the front office. I mean, head coach out, assistant coaches out, bring in Bruce Boudreau. And, and Boudreau has done a phenomenal job at getting something out of a club that was really struggling up until that point. This is moving in an assistant coach that was already with the club for the last couple of years into the spot that was taken over. And I know many people were wondering, well, you know, it's a very different challenge for someone like Dave Lowry. And then you add in the very unique fact that Adam Lowry is a very important player on this team. And he happens to be Dave's son. Um, What did you think when you heard, you know, of Dave Lowry being the guy um, as well as the way it was described by the hockey club, that it's an interim coaching situation but that he will be the interim coach for the rest of the season. I guess something could already change, but that certainly seems to be the plan going forward. Well, for me, that had the fingerprints of Mark Chipman on it, because when I spoke to Mark Chipman about a month ago about Paul Maurice's future and his legacy in Winnipeg, he spoke to the importance of continuity. Like I think there's a link between continuity and trust and stability from True North's perspective. You know, going back to the first day Paul Maurice was hired, the idea that he was going to be around for a long time was discussed between the two of them, is what Chipman told me. So the idea that the interim head coach comes from within the organization, not a surprise at all. And, and certainly Dave Lowry has respect across the league and has had tremendous success at the WHL level, has been an assistant in the NHL for a long time. I think that that there's there's some sense to that. Um, and then the idea that it's interim for the full season, and they were clear about that as well. Um, I think that also speaks to a sense of a team that believes in continuity. And then you can sort of open up the the full search and whether that means, you know, Lowry's going to be a candidate, to be sure, and how he performs in the next while and how Winnipeg performs, whether there's a playoff push to be made, a resurgence of that nature will go a long way to saying what his future is. But it'll go beyond that, too. I mean, Travis Green might be an option. Pascal Vincent's been within the organization for a long time. And, of course, there are other teams and other carousels that that may impact what's available to Winnipeg at that time. So I... I just think it's that that cautious, conservative, uh, continuity-focused approach that I think we've come to expect from True North and 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 you know respect from their perspective. Yeah, and hey, and that being said, it's a huge opportunity for Dave Lowry. He is obviously part of the move to the assistant coaching position from the WHL. Was I believe the hope to eventually become have this sort of opportunity and. 
you know, he's in an organization where he's going to have, I would say, I think the inside track. I mean, if things go very well the rest of this season, the team plays well and they improve and they do all those things. I think the logical choice for this team, based on everything you just said, would be continue going forward. But, you know, I, you know, there still is, you got to figure that out and they'll have this opportunity. So let's get to, you know, the article you've got on Dave Lowry's decisions and the players that maybe have the most to gain and what will change. But before we do that, let me ask you about what you saw on the weekend. I, I went to the game on, on Friday and it was a weird atmosphere, both from the fans, from the players in warm up. I mean, I think everyone was still a little bit stunned at what had happened. And, you know, obviously they lost a game, didn't play terribly. I mean, I thought there were some good things that happened in that Washington game. And then on Sunday got a, a win that was so desperately needed for everyone, especially when you consider that the games on Tuesday and Wednesday were canceled would have been a terrible way to go into a stretch without the win. But just as far as what happened on the ice, Marat, what did you what did you see and um, what maybe changed from the final game of the Maurice era on Tuesday of last week against the Sabres? Yeah, in terms of the emotions, I couldn't add a word to what you said. I mean, that sort of shell shocker stun on Friday, it, it took the players a while to get going. I mean, that was an interesting game in, in a lot of ways. And Washington was missing players, but they're a very good team as well. And I think that the result made sense to me at the end of that night. And then the importance of getting a win against St. Louis heading into, gosh, this extended break now. I mean, um, I think that they needed something. They needed to be able to pin process and results together. And I thought that that was an important win. In terms of changes, I see some overestimation. You know, when I look around the internet, oh, the systems will be different. Oh, they're, they're playing better systems. They've imp- it's the same sim- systems. It is a coach from within the organization who, if he had a brilliant idea a week ago, shared it with Maurice and the full staff and the players and everybody involved. So I don't think that we're seeing a night and day change whatsoever. And even as the weeks and months go by and a reasonable amount of time is available as opposed to a weekend or even less than a day to prepare for Friday, we might see modest changes at that point. But there are a couple of details that we can key in on. One of them was from the tail end of Paul Maurice's era, the Cop-Lowry reunion to play tough minutes and tough matchups. The interesting thing about that for me is that they were put together early last week before Paul Maurice's resignation, presumably sizing up Alexander Ovechkin on Washington's top line. And then you sort of wonder, how's the coach going to use him? So Dave Lowry starts that Lowry line um, all three periods, actually all six periods of his tenure so far. And so a lot of folks are wondering, oh, he's playing his son, he's playing his son. But then look into how he actually used them. Um, against Ovechkin, the Lowry line was used as a shutdown, as a matchup line. I think it was most of nine minutes that Lowry played against Ovechkin that night. His next highest competition for a line was about four minutes. So that's stilted. That's looking for a matchup and, and using it. So against St. Louis, what I was looking for was, are they going to do it the same way against, you know, Tarasenko, Viknevich, and uh, Ivan Barbashev? And it wasn't quite so much. Lowry's line played equal minutes just about uh, against all of the top nine. And so what I like is a sort of sense of reading the room, reading the opponents, and using that shutdown line as necessary. That was a nice touch. Flipping Connor and Shifley on the power play is a nice touch, but is that Lowry or is that Jamie Compon's return? Or is it just a clear and obvious decision to make to have Connor and Shifley open to their one-timer side by setting up on their off wing? Um, And then there's the one other detail, and credit to Avco Cup for pointing this out in the comments of my article at The Athletic, something I noticed as well but didn't write. Um, After a Jets PK, Winnipeg's been loading with offense 
with, I believe it's Shifley, Dubois, and Ehlers is the trio that they've liked to use. So after Winnipeg's penalty kill, presumably the other team's power play has had all of its best players. You might get a little bit of soft opposition in that transition shift right after that penalty. You see coaches do it. I think Dave Lowry has gone to that well a few times. So these are just details and tweaks. It's not a wholesale change thus far. Well, I, you know, just speaking about special teams for a minute, um, you know, the PK, again, like I, I, I have a hard time separating you know, the results from, are we seeing anything different? Are they just doing things a little bit better? Are they being a little bit more fortunate? But certainly the results on the PK were better. But you touched on the power play, and this is something we'd spoken about many times, the two of us in the chat on this program. It it seemed like such a simple switch to a more traditional style of putting your players in a spot where they can rip one-timers. And um, it certainly looked a lot more dangerous from my perspective over two games than a PP that had really been struggling and hadn't changed very much over the course of the last month. Yeah, on a power play, when you have five and they have four, the the play is to create more options than they can defend. And if they're on their, you know, their strong sides, that one-timer isn't an option, so they're either going to pass it to look to make a play. They might try an awkward shovel one-timer, and you saw Mark Shively try a couple of those that didn't work out particularly well. Um, or uh, they have to catch it, corral it, and then shoot. When they're set up on their uh, on their offsides, they can be passing threats or shooting threats, and a defense has to respect two options. And then they're such good offensive players that they can exploit whichever options left undefended. And I think that that's where you get into all kinds of strength. You know, Tampa Bay, for example, has had one of the most dangerous power plays for ages, especially when Kucherov is healthy. And one of the reasons why it works, other than having five all-stars, you know, on the unit, is they're lined up in that same way, where shooters are passers and everybody can hurt you in at least two ways. Winnipeg had sort of shot itself in the foot by not putting players in positions to have options. And I think that this was a simple and obvious change for for players with that much talent. Now, Dave Lowry has kind of couched it in, we just want to have options within a game. We might go the other way as well. Um, but I think that this is the superior look uh, for the Jets, especially because Connor and Shively can make plays and shoot so well. Both of them can do it all. Uh, okay, hold on a second. Quick timeout here. Super chat alert. A huge thank you to Kenny's Water Bottle. One of the great names in all of our chat. I will say that first off. Uh, what a nice gift. Just a thank you to WST for filling a void that was left when you know it happened. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Have a bevy or two on me, Hassan Remus, and the same to all in the chat. All the best to you, Winnipeg sports fans, in 2022. That is the positivity we are loving on this program today. Kenny's Water Bottle, love you. Thank you so much for uh, for doing that. Um, uh, Marat, let's get to, let's get to the article because, um, you know, of course, you know, we can only take so much from the weekend. I mean, Lowry came in as coach on a game day. Um, they have Saturday to get a practice and then they go in and take on the St. Louis blues and got that win that I think the players, the organization, and definitely the fan base needed. Um, but going into this next streak, uh, you know, after a couple of, um, practices, a break, They'll be getting back with a couple very important Central Division games, assuming the schedule goes as follows. And maybe give us the thought process of putting this article together on what you were looking for, because I think everybody has questions as to who stands to gain and what can maybe a new voice in that coaching room give and maybe get more out of particular players, both from them individually as well as how they're utilized. Yeah, when there's a big change, coaching change, You start to project. You want to know what happens in the future. What's it going to mean? 
And so the, the thought process behind the article was respecting that we've had two games. Like you say, Lowry came in on a game day. There are not sweeping systemic changes. But at the same time, you know, minutes tell all. Minutes are the story that coaches, you know, tell us without needing to say a word. Uh, and we can also kind of start putting together some breadcrumbs and admitting to ourselves you know, and I admit this about the article is there's projection, there's guesswork. And as long as you're honest about that, I think it's a really fun place to go. What does this mean? What comes next? Um, one of the first things I was looking at was what are Mark Shifley's minutes and what are Pierre-Luc Dubois' minutes? Because so far this season, Dubois has been the standout number one quality center. And how do those guys get used? I think Mark Shifley had a pair of really nice games, especially on Sunday, um, not only offensively, but defensively as well. I thought it was a really good effort from him. Um, and notice Dave Lowry multiple times unprompted reference to their defense in his answer, praising that line uh, with Paul Stassi and Nikolai Ehlers after their massive performance against St. Louis. This is an accountability thing. This is a message that um, will be important to them getting minutes. At the same time, Shifley's two-minute-plus advantage at five-on-five throughout the season Pulled back a little bit, you know, just a little bit. I think it's just over one minute more than Dubois he played. That's interesting to me. How they're using those guys is interesting to me as well. Seems like Lowry, when Lowry, Adam Lowry, is the uh, the shutdown center, Mark Scheifele gets the next power versus power situation. And actually, Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor are then let loose to run rampant against, you know, softer, weaker opposition, which you know, might be a third or fourth line from time to time. And I thought that even though the goals didn't come, I thought Dubois and Connor looked dominant at five on five and the shot metrics would show that over the weekend as well. So these are the types of things that, that I look for to project. You know, I think this may mean more offensive opportunities for Connor and Dubois, especially if the minutes go up. Nick Ehlers is going to have himself a minute if uh, if he continues to play with Shifley. He's been on all six of Winnipeg's goals since Dave Lowry has been a head coach. Nick Ehlers stands to gain a lot. Um, and then you sort of go throughout the lineup and even deeper there. You know, there's some ripple effects that, that we might be able to guess at already. Well, let's talk about Shifley for a minute, because I know we spent a lot of time talking about him and really the last couple of weeks for obvious reasons. Your article last week that we got into in depth, if you missed it, go back and check the uh, the episode on Marat's visit last week uh, about it. And of course, check it out in The Athletic. Um, it was a lot about the defense, but it was also the fact that he had been so snake bit, um, you know, and he and sometimes his line mates. Back with Nikolai Ehlers, Ehlers, for my money, might have been the best jet for both of those games. I mean, he was doing everything. I mean, he was at the uh, the best of Nikolai Ehlers that we've seen. And you wonder what had happened previously when those guys were playing together. I, I'll go back to Black Friday for a minute, that miserable day in Minnesota. And Maurice was talking about some of those changes. And afterwards, he was asked about, you know, a couple of the changes. And I believe his quote was, I had to get some guys away from each other. And... I'm not sure if he was talking about those two, um, but it was interesting to see how those guys had played together at times. And I think all of us expected that when that happened, we would see, you know, the best of both of those players. And to be honest, at times that wasn't the case. It certainly was that case on the weekend. Um, in your opinion, like what was different? And um, is that something that we should expect to see going forward under Dave Lowry? Yeah, I think it is something we should expect to see. I think the Ehlers-Shifley combination has a lot 
of uncharted territory and a lot to gain. I think there's still a lot to to reap from from that partnership, especially when you have Paul Stastny sort of playing defense for them, as happens sometimes because he's such a smart center and he can rotate in behind and play down low and get that coverage. Um, I've talked to you. I have a conversation in my mind. It was you and Rick way back at that station before you were just the goat at a different platform as opposed to to that one. Um, and we were talking about why in 2018-19 Ehlers, Shifley, and Wheeler had such success and didn't go, didn't play together in the playoffs. And for me, this is something I've always believed. Nick Ehlers plays such an indirect game. He goes wide. He cuts around afterwards. He makes. Um, I, I, I liken it to playing jazz. He's always sort of improvising in those situations, whereas Kyle Connor likes those straight lines. He's so good at timing his cuts into the middle of the ice and shooting. Well, on Sunday against St. Louis, who scored a goal by reading the situation, cutting right into the middle behind his guy, and then firing a shot home from Mark Shifley? That was Nikolai Ehlers. And I think that the playbook for a winger who plays with Shifley, who sets up so well, who uses his body to protect the puck, who makes those passes into the middle of the ice. It can't be all on the perimeter. It can't be all about those beautiful seam plays, which they do find, but it's when those plays aren't there, those timings uh, of cuts into the middle have to be on point. And Shifley, when I asked him about it after the game, said that, yes, exactly, they've talked about that. That goal was was a symptom of kind of a direction they'd like to add to their game. And I like that. If they can do that and the other way where Nick Ehlers just flies, and you've seen him find Mark Shifley through seams already. Shifley could have had another goal that day. He misfired on a, um, I guess that was the second period, part of me, a pass from, from Ehlers as well. You know, having success with one opens up the other. And I think that they're communicating and still learning what they can be as a partnership now at this stage of their careers. Marana Tesh of The Athletic with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Uh, let's talk about that Lowry Cop reunion. And as you mentioned, that was already happening. I mean, they were in practice together on Tuesday. That was the big change, one of many coming out of the Buffalo game. Um, and of course, Svechnikov going back with Lowry or with uh, Dubois and Kyle Connor. Um, that didn't last long because he got hurt in the game. And unfortunately, with David Gustafson, we'll get to Gus in a minute as to where he might be and what his situation is coming back. But it was interesting to see Jansen Harkins get that opportunity to move up. And I know you touched on this in the piece. Let's assume that they move forward with Cop and Lowry as that group. And Cop's still going to get tons of ice time. He plays power play. He plays tons of penalty kill. We've seen it. It's not like it hurt his minutes. Um, and I think he's excelled in that role along with Adam Lowry. Um, but, I mean, you mentioned Brandon Tanev, and we've always been looking for that perfect guy. And Mason Appleton really was that last year. What if he thought of Jansen Harkins? What do you, do you think of Jansen Harkins moving up into that spot on the weekend? And um, might Harkins be one of the guys that can benefit the most from Dave Lowry and the way he's looking at this roster? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that it's funny. They should know each other pretty well from a WHL rivalry out on the West Coast uh, during Jansen Harkins' WHL days. I mean, um, they would have played against each other during some pretty competitive eras. So there may be a bit of a rivalry there that, uh, you know, that they'll know each other's strengths uh, very well from that era. And if I'm Winnipeg and I'm looking for that elusive Brandon Tanev replacement, I want speed. I want intensity and aggression. 
Cobb and Lowry are such responsible positional players, they're going to drive the results on that line. And even when Tanev was a Winnipeg Jet, in terms of what happened when you move Tanev off and say you all are Mia there, well, Cobb and Lowry still drove success on that line. Tanev alone couldn't do it. I'm not thinking that Jansen Harkins needs to be a play driver against anybody and everybody at this stage of his career. But I think Cobb and Lowry benefit from speed and from his hockey sense a little bit more than, you know, he's a faster player, more aggressive player than Dominic Toninato is. Um, certainly he's a faster player than Christian Veselainen is. And I think his reads are better than Christian Veselainen as well, despite giving up a little bit of physicality from time to time to him. So for me, that's the place that Winnipeg should be looking to go. And it's tough to get a read on exactly how valued Jansen Harkins is right now, because, you know, he played 1028 at five on five every night in 2019, 20, and then dropped well below that. Now he's at 10 minutes or so. He's playing less than he did in his NHL rookie season, which is interesting. But then when that injury happens to Nick Ehlers, he goes off a concussion protocol. He's the one that gets the top line minutes for a second with, with Mark Shifley. So it's kind of as if they know that he's useful. They know that they have something in him. He's not dominant, certainly not, but they're looking for a spot. And I think that that spot is probably on that third line beside Kopp and Lowry and not the fourth line getting five, six, seven, eight minutes, uh, you know, every single night, especially now that some injuries have hit. Now, um, and, and you touch on this in the piece as well, and this is the question that I don't know if they really have any answers to, but there'll be a lot of speculation, is it? And what happens to Captain Blake Wheeler when he comes back into this into this lineup? Um, Steve Lowry knows Blake Wheeler. I mean, this is not like, oh, we'll see this new player coming in. I mean, they're very familiar with each other. Um, but the way things are going right now, you've got that kind of Dubois-Connor connection. You've got Shifley and uh, Nikolai Ehlers. Uh, and now we've got Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry. Where does the captain best fit when he comes back to the Winnipeg Jets sometime, hopefully in January? Uh, because again, Dave Lowry did confirm today that, you know, he might be able to come back at the end of sort of a 10 game, 24 day break. Uh, but there's no guarantees. But at some point they're expecting Blake Wheeler to be back as a member of the Winnipeg Jets this season. Yeah, I mean, Wheeler's rehab and recovery uh, from that knee injury will dictate his timing, but it won't be before the Jets have had 10 games on their schedule, and I believe that includes the postponed games. So I think it's January 6th or 7th against against Colorado, probably. Yeah, against Colorado on the road early on in uh, in. 2022 oh my goodness um that he'd first be eligible to return and then it will be all about his health when he comes back the team will be obviously very different than it was when he was last on it um you know paul maurice being gone he doesn't need to prove anything in terms of who he is but where does he fit how long does it take to get him back up to that vancouver performance that you know we were all hoping wow what a night from blake wheeler he was dominant he was driving he was making plays in all sorts of different ways strength skill all of that sort of stuff well, here's that top six right winger again, even at this stage of his career. We wanted him to chain that together. How long does it take him to get back to that level? And is that attainable? So for me, one of the one of the easiest things you could do with Blake Wheeler is give him that third line right wing job if Kopp and Lowry are still together at that time. Wheeler is quietly one of Winnipeg's more responsible defensive wingers. I mean, he's up until last season when the ribs and everything else happened, he had whether it's analytically with our APM metrics, whether it's shot attempts, you know, he's had good defensive impacts his whole career. And I think that he'd be a player that can hang in that sort of, in that sort of tough minutes matchup role that leaves you Evgeny Svechnikov, presumably healthy on that line with Connor and Dubois, which is the other place that I have time for Blake Wheeler. 
if he is driving, if he's contributing at that level that he was just starting to reach there. I don't think Svechnikov is what makes that line tick. I think Connor and Dubois have that taken care of, and certainly Wheeler can can add to that as well. That's never been one. As much as Connor and Dubois produced early with Svechnikov on their line, I've never attributed their success 100% to him. So these are the two options. I don't think Blake Wheeler's a top-line right winger. In my mind, that's got to be Nick Ehlers' job. Look at the performance you've, you've seen from him in these two games. Like you said there's a pretty good argument he's been winnipeg's best player um and he's six out of six goals he's been in on uh, i think that you've got to ride that and figure out what you've got as as a top line we winger from nikolai ehlers in in the prime of his career um marat i know uh the piece really does focus in on the forwards and the lines as we've been talking about and chopping up over the course of this season um any thoughts on what may or may not happen with the blue line I wonder, because Winnipeg has been so consistent uh, with the matchups that they've used and with the pairings that they've used, pardon me. I think with Schmidt back in the in the lineup, you know, his non-COVID illness, I, I, he was back in practice today. I think you'll see Morrissey Schmidt reunited, Dylan Pionk, etc. I like that Winnipeg was quick to go to Dylan DeMello in that top pair role with Josh Morrissey because they'd had success before. So other options are out there. I mean, the defensive coach hasn't changed. That's still Charlie Huddy. What Winnipeg has done really well in terms of its bench management over the last several years is who the defenseman that they want to get the most minutes gets the most minutes. Even when Dustin Bufflin was on that second pairing at five on five, he always ended up with the most minutes of any player by the end of the night. Um, His partner, whether it's Enstrom or Sherratt, always ended up with the fourth most minutes. And it was Josh Morrissey and perhaps Jacob Truba, depending on the time, you know, in between And that takes clever bench management. That takes usage of TV timeouts, end of periods, after the power play, after the penalty kill, all that sort of stuff. That's something that Charlie Huddy is, you know, I think that we know what his priorities are based on the minutes that we see. Um, And we haven't seen a lot of variation or change from him on that front so far. I'm presently not expecting much more because, I mean, he hasn't changed. And it's not like we've seen a sea change of personnel as it happened in Vancouver. Um, But... At some point, you're going to want to see other looks, I think, just for variation. And I think that you're going to need, especially Nate Schmidt and especially Brendan Dillon to be at their best. You want Dillon to be clearing that crease. You want Nate Schmidt to be active and engaged and moving the puck up the ice. And I think there have been spots where they've been great this year and spots where they haven't as well. So long way of saying here are the things that I think go into it, but I'm not expecting a seed change right off the hop. Well, you know, you mentioned DeMello moving up with Morrissey. Um, and again, I realize this is different. They're replacing a different player. But, I mean, there was a lot of talk. And it was sort of, I mean, it's strange to some people that when Neil Pionk got knocked out of the game against the Leafs, the answer was not to move Dylan DeMello up to play with Brendan Dillon. It was to move Logan Stanley to his offside. And I think we all agreed that that experiment was short-lived. Um, but he still stayed up on that role. Do you think that the DeMello move up, is that more a Dave Lowry decision considering what happened just a few weeks ago in a similar situation for the club, albeit with a different defenseman? You know, there's the argument for it. You laid it out. And if you're interpreting, I think that there's room for that to be exactly the truth because, you know, Winnipeg throughout last season seemed to be hesitant to put DeMello there, though during the playoffs that DeMello Morrissey player pairing you know did some heavy lifting to be sure until DeMello's injury and I think they did a great job of it but that's been yeah certainly you you've wondered you know depending on your perspective of what Winnipeg wants from its defense 
DeMello has been less valued, I would say. Certainly the, the more physical player in, you know, uh, Logan Stanley, Brendan Dillon, et cetera, have, ha- have been more so. I think the fact that Stanley had such such a struggle playing on his offside, suddenly juggling against top four competition, may have also been a lesson learned no matter who was coach. I mean, he was bumped down pretty soon or at least moved to his natural side. That's an interesting one to keep tabs on. You know, perhaps perhaps those quick retrievals and short passes that are a little bit less... Uh, exciting and less physical might mean more to to Dave Lowry, but you know I I seem to stereotype is is probably the word right now because it's not we haven't seen enough of him at the NHL level. I seem to think that grit is just as important to him as to any other uh, NHL coach. Marat, thank you so much for the time as always. You know how much we love the conversations when you're here. Uh, best of the season to you. I hope you have a great little holiday break and. Uh, Give your mom a big WST Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays from the people in the chat as well. A uh, a very popular character from your articles, and uh, <laughs> I know it must have been a crazy Friday for mom because I know she was a big, big fan of uh, the former coach of the Jets. Absolutely, I got a voicemail from her right away. I think before like half the before some like people within hockey had called me. I think my mom had been on it. Um, and yeah, I'll absolutely pass on your best. She's going to participate in my next mailbag. I, I'm going to have her answer some questions as well, which which makes my life. Um, yeah, it's it's just so fun to be able to talk about your mom on the internet in the professional sports world, and everybody's on board and and has loved her takes so far. So yeah, thanks a lot, Huss. Yeah, we all love our moms uh, 24-7, 365, but it's even a little bit more special in and around the holidays. To my mom, Michael's mom, Marat's mom, all the moms out there, thank you for everything. Uh, you, my friend, have a great few days, and we'll look forward to catching up one more time in 2021 next week when, fingers crossed, we've got some more hockey games with the Winnipeg Jets to talk about. Right on. I'll be back if you have me back. <laughs> Book it. Thanks, pal. Uh, there it is, Marat Atesh of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at WPG Marat. And, of course, check out his work in The Athletic. And as I mentioned at the beginning of it, uh, great idea uh, for a uh, maybe a stocking stuffer or a Christmas gift for the sports fan. Much more than just Marat's great work. It really is a great spot for uh for sports fans, uh, whether you're uh, locked talking NHL. Tons of great NHL content, but all the other leagues, uh, it is all there for you. All right, uh, much more to come on the program. Uh, but hey, a big cheers to everybody from our friends at Little Brown Jug. The holidays are here. The 1919 goes very well with Christmas celebrations. And they've also, of course, got the I, the Brute IPA, the uh, celebratory beer they fired up for the five-year anniversary earlier this month. Head on down to the uh, the tap room and brew house on William Avenue, you can pick up all the great beer there. You can meet some friends for a celebratory holiday drink. And you can also pick up tons of great merch. And the gift boxes are available there as well. Or you can go online, littlebrownjug.ca. Free delivery going on right now. And uh, as I said, check out those curated gift boxes as well if you're stuck for a great gift. Um, our friends at Princess Auto, proudly supporting curling in the province. Uh, great news on the curling front. That in Portage La Prairie next week, beginning on the 28th, the Canadian mixed doubles Olympic trials will go ahead on Hodgson and Chelsea Carey. Good friends of the program qualified last week to get in. They're one of the princess auto teams out there. And of course, Jen Jones rep in Manitoba and Canada at the Olympics coming up in Beijing. If you're stuck for maybe a last minute Christmas gift. Uh, Princess Auto is the spot where you'll find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need 
to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Visit them online or in-store today and they'll help you make it work. It's Princess Auto, two locations in Winnipeg at princessauto.com. Um, we've got a doubleheader tonight, 6 p.m., two NFL games. And you know what that means? It might be time to get to your local Boston pizza, get both of the games up on the big screen, get some gourmet pizza, some delicious Boston wings, some ice cold schooners, and get into that holiday spirit. Um, Boston pizza locations, Winnipeg and Manitoba are waiting for you right now. Gift cards, another great opportunity, a great idea to maybe pop in that stocking. And if you uh, are planning on staying home tonight, it is sort of cold. Just pick up the phone, call your local BP, or order online at bostonpizza.com. Uh, let's get Michael Remus back in here as we continue the program. Um, Remo, uh, great stuff with Marat, as always. And, um, man, I, I just have to say, I think Bob Irving might be the most popular guest in Winnipeg Sports Talk history. And that says something because we know how much everyone loves Marat. Yeah, great, great show. I was getting text uh, from my bubby. She loves Bob Irving as well. So uh, incredible, uh, incredible guests there. Uh, a lot of stories. It was awesome to have, be able to have Bob on the show. We'll have to uh, put that up separately if anyone wants to spend their Christmas holiday watching it. Absolutely. And hey, a best of the season to Bubby as well. I mean, when we talk about longtime Blue Bomber fans, I mean, I know my folks, I think, have had Bomber season tickets for in excess of 30 years. But I think Bubby's pushing that. Uh, she might have basically been started going to those games in and around Bob Irving starting uh, calling the games. I think before she had she went to games at um, when the stadium was on Osborne and uh, wow. and uh, was going to games. Uh, you know, I took her to a game uh, this year. So uh yeah, a lot bomber season tickets have been in my family uh, for a long time. So, uh, yeah, it's been an awesome. You know, it's funny you talk about um, how poor the team was, or you know, the Grey Cup drought. I mean, this back-to-back Grey Cups. Uh, you almost got to pinch yourself to think about it. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, it's everything felt so different this year after finally getting that monkey off the back. And you know, credit to Mike O'Shea and the players for being able to continue. Um, the path that they set out and completed in 2019 after a missed season to come back and do it again. Uh, quick alert, although on the program, speaking of festive backgrounds, yeah, uh, I've got the beautiful fire and the Christmas tree. Uh, Remus, a beautiful winter scene behind you right now, as opposed to the jerseys that are usually behind you at WSTHQ. Look, you had um, you got the tree and the fireplace. I was getting je- jealous. I was feeling left out. I just was stuck in my basement with my jersey. So I moved in front of this beautiful uh, window here uh, with the trees. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, this time of year, let's have some fun. You know, no hockey. Uh, let's try to switch it up a bit. You got it. Well, I'm looking forward to these football games tonight. And, of course, the holidays getting together, hopefully, with some friends and family and uh, enjoying a couple days off. But we do plan to be back on the air on Monday uh, because, of course, we should have, fingers crossed, a hockey game, albeit with half attendance, uh, Monday against the Minnesota Wild. We'll, tomorrow's show, I, I hope that we'll have some some sort of clarity from the Winnipeg Jets on exactly how this is all going to work for season ticket holders or people that have bought tickets to the games. Uh, right now, no answers right now. <laughs> Listen, I mentioned this yesterday. I mean, it's a nightmare scenario for people in that industry. I mean, I guess the worst case was being an empty building and you don't need to have anyone there sell any tickets. But the logistics involved in figuring out how you go from a full building after selling the tickets and distributing them and people sell them to other people and give them away to that um, is, well, very, very difficult. 
Um, but hey, speaking of the bombers, Reem, you just mentioned, I mean, of course, our friends at Canadian Club, we will be doing another marble race for another hoodie on Thursday as part of the WST holiday extravaganza. Uh, but their uh, sister company, Jim Beam, Jim Beam Bourbon, uh, man, quick turnaround on this. They have just put together displays in 20 Manitoba liquor marts with a limited edition glass celebrating the 2021 Grey Cup Championship, which you can get if you buy a bottle of Jim Beam Kentucky Straight Bourbon. Uh, I should have sent you these pictures. I'll get them to yes. you tomorrow on the program. Uh, but if you pop by, uh, you Bomber fans, and you're a fan of Jim Beam, or you think figured that might be good for the liquor cabinet for the holidays and heading into 2022, do it now and uh, make sure you pick up the commemorative championship 2021 Grey Cup champs from our friends at Jim Beam and, of course, our friends over at Canadian Club. Uh, be with us on Thursday, the holiday extravaganza. will absolutely feature a holiday marble race. And if you're tuned in a little bit later on, um, Paul Edmonds is going to join us. Can't wait for a holiday visit from Polly. And we will also have the first ever, providing it all works, but I think it's going to, the first ever WST uh, trivia fiesta, if you will. And I'll work on getting some prizes for that. So uh, all our regulars, everyone is welcome. Uh, but we'd love to see you with us on Thursday for our final show heading into uh, a three-day break for us before a show coming up on Monday. And hey, our friends at Nick and Nicky DQ are having a lot of fun for the holidays. I did see on their Instagram today that uh, they've got some really cool Christmas and winter-themed cakes. Um, if you think that that might be a great addition to the holiday gathering, make sure you uh, hit them up uh, on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. Uh, and get it ordered, customize it, you like it, and then you can pick it up at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs, DQ Northgate, DQ Niverville, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And in the meantime, you should be checking out their Instagram feed anyways at DQ Manitoba because they're giving away a ton of great prizes with the DQ 12 Days of Christmas from our friends Nick and Nicky. And a big season's greetings and uh, best to them. Uh, and thanks for all their great support. Now, Mitch was asking about doubles uh, lines for the curling. I am not sure. I will look into that. I mean, Coolbet has certainly been sort of the, um, the the leader when it comes to setting curling odds. Um, they've got some former players that are helping them lay lines down that the book can put out. They certainly did that for the Olympic trials. I would imagine they'll do it for the for the mixed, although with such a new event and not a lot of background on a lot of these teams. Not entirely sure, but Mitch, I will look into that. I'll try and let you guys know tomorrow how that's going to work. But in the meantime, let's check out our cool bet lines because we might not have any hockey. The only hockey we have is, well, one game tonight and then no game tomorrow. Tampa Bay and the Vegas Golden Knights. And it is a little funny that with everything else shutting down, we still have a game with Vegas and Tampa and Florida. Maybe we should maybe we should we expect that. Uh Vegas a home favorite, minus 122. Tampa a slight road underdog at plus 104. Uh, but today's main event that's probably got a little people people freaking out that their fantasy football lives depend on it are these two Tuesday games that were rescheduled from the weekend because of COVID outbreaks. The LA Rams are at home, SoFi Stadium taking on the Seahawks. And they are seven-point favorites against Seattle. Pretty big number. Total on that game is 47. 
Um, and then the WFT have been decimated by injuries. I need Antonio Gibson to go off tonight. I don't know what the story is with their line. I imagine he'll have plenty of opportunities to do that. Whether it'll happen, not sure. Philly in a much better situation going into this game. And they are nine and a half point favorites. Um, so, you know, you realize these are very close teams in the standings, close teams, I think, talent wise, frankly, on a neutral field, I think I'd give WFT, uh, the football team, the benefit of the doubt maybe would be the favorite. So tells you all you need to know. I'm kind of a Browns like situation yesterday. And heck, the Browns took the Raiders right to the end and could have easily won that football game. Uh, so nine and a half points you're getting if you're back in Washington, uh, you got to lay nine and a half and win by 10 to win on the Philadelphia Eagles. Total on that game, very low, 40.5. And hey, Thursday night, December 23rd, heading into the holidays, we've got a hell of a Thursday nighter. Titans and Niners. San Francisco, a three and a half point road favorite against Tennessee, who's reeling a little bit, especially after that loss to the Steelers that last week, which allowed the Kansas City Chiefs to take over sole possession of first place in the AFC and the inside track on home field. Although, COVID wreaking havoc in Kansas City as well. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, a number of players on the list, although they are hopeful that they will be able to play this weekend. Again, this sort of goes to what we were talking about before that Connor Hellebuck was mentioning. The uh, the protocols a little bit different in the National Football League and the NHL, a little easier to get back on the field after getting a negative test if you are fully vaccinated. Um, so we'll follow that situation. We'll talk about it more on Thursday. And for those of you that love the lock shop, normally we would do a show today on Tuesday, but there's no CFL. There's no hockey to talk about. So we'll be doing a bigger show on Thursday. We'll hit the Thursday nighter. We'll get our best bets for the weekend in the National Football League. Chris Abbott will join us for the Circa pick. So if you haven't already subscribed to the lock shop, hit it up, Apple, Spotify, or just join us on Twitter. We'll do that probably at noon our time heading right in to Winnipeg Sports Talk. And again, we're hoping to have Ken Weave on the show tomorrow. And after the holiday extravaganza, I did see that uh, Kenny and Rennie will be doing their own little long-form show with no games this week. They'll follow us on their YouTube channel right after 3 p.m. when we are finished up. Uh, Remo, any thoughts on those games? And do you have the, the stones to take the underdog, either a, an underman WFT squad at nine and a half points or maybe Russell Wilson and the Seahawks going up against their division rivals? Uh, well, the Rams have a COVID situation of their own, but the Seahawks have been such a disappointment this year. Um, what? Hold on. I'm just trying, I think I was just mashing the keyboard in chat. Um, I would maybe lean Seahawks. I feel like those West games, if you want to take the points there, they still have uh, DK Metcalf, but I don't know. Their offense has been so underwhelming. I just think uh, Rams have been dealing with COVID. And nine and a half seems like a lot uh, for the Eagles. I know McKissick is out. You're expecting Gibson to get a lot of the carries. Um, yeah, maybe roll with... I don't know. I mean, I don't... I have no... It's hard, so hard, Haas. This, this week of fantasy football was... Uh, was such a Hold bloodbath. Hold on a sec. Did so. you just say Gibson is out now? No, no, no. He's in... Sorry, McKissick is out. Oh, okay. Thank you. That's Gibson's exactly in. what I, I You literally almost gave me a heart attack. Gibson's getting all the carries. Sorry. On there. I missed, I missed up. <laughs> My bad. Oh, man. Well, I, I tell you what. It, it, I mean, listen, I'm just happy to have some games to watch tonight. And, and, uh, and it is somewhat ironic that with all this happening, all that's happened with the NFL is they've been able to spread the games out with more opportunities for more people to watch the games 
one day off, and then we're back at it Thursday night with a hell of a Thursday nighter and a very important one for both teams that are probably destined for the playoffs in the San Francisco 49ers and the Tennessee Titans. Uh, what a great show today. Beautiful, festive backgrounds at mm -hmm. both the CTO's HQ and uh, right here with the fire in the background. Uh, great Jets chat with Murata Tesh. Incredible generosity from Kenny's water bottle to, to T-Bone and so many of our, our listeners and viewers here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, but nothing's going to top our visit with Bob Irving, Remus. Um, that was a lot of fun. And thanks to everyone for the feedback on it. We were really excited to have Bob on and we'd been hearing you. Uh, wanted to wait till the end of the season and get the Grey Cup festivities finished. Um, and uh, that'll be one of our favorite interviews for the entire year that we've done since starting on, uh, what was it, the 8th of March, back in the aftermath of uh, everything happened at our old spot. Yeah, the uh, the Grey Cup festivities never ending. They'll be going on uh, throughout what, throughout the winter. So, yeah, great to have uh, Bob on. That was an awesome uh, conversation. We're at great to figure out what's going on with the Jets now that they got the new coach. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, his latest in the athletics, so I would recommend checking that out. So there, even though there's no games, still lots to get to. We're still here uh, Monday to Friday at uh, 1 Central, although not this Friday. But uh, hey, if you're here, might as well just hit that thumbs up and uh, and subscribe. We hit, uh, what, 6K two weeks ago or a week and a half ago. The road to 7K subs on YouTube yeah, is on. Well, you, you know what? The last week's been awesome. I mean, we made, uh, we, mm -hmm. we've had another hundred since uh, we hit it, you know, a couple Fridays ago. So uh, it's awesome. If yes. you are new, yeah, do us a favor, hit that red subscribe button and uh, join us every day at 1 p.m. for the podcast listeners out there. We appreciate it. But if you are listening on the podcast and you have the opportunity to jump in on Thursday's show, pop in, we'll do the marble race and you can check out the debut of our uh of a little trivia extravaganza here on the program. We're looking forward to doing that. And uh, as I said, we'll pimp Remus's Twitch channel uh, as well. Are we going to be doing playing some games tonight and testing out the uh, testing out the trivia for Thursday? Yeah, I usually just play uh, NHL, but um, I wanted to test out. That's where kind of where I test things for this show. So I'll be testing out the trivia tonight. I have some hockey trivia made, and hopefully, I'm just hoping I didn't make it too hard. So. Uh, I think it's something that we could definitely do, get everyone involved. And I'm especially, I mean, I'm worried that more games are going to get canceled. We've got to think of alternate programming. So maybe uh, maybe a, tri a trivia contest. I always, I said, I always loved um, Stump the Schwab. It was a great show. Frank Schwab, all-time yep. legend, ESPN legend. He should still be there. The, maybe the greatest trivia mind of all time when it came to, well, I mean, enough that he got his own show that was called Stump the Schwab. It was the, be the best. And um, there was Sports Jeopardy on, uh, I think it was on Netflix or like Crackle. It was on Crackle with Dan Patrick. I watched that. So, um, you know, there's lots of Crackle. We can what do. the hell was Crackle? Is that still a thing? That was the Sony streaming service that had Comedians Cars Coffee before mm. it moved to Netflix. And I don't know if it's still around. It was free, it had ads. I, I have no idea James, if it's going I'll on. take swords for 400 bucks. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, anyways, great show today. I can't thank Bob Irving enough for joining us today on the program. And of course, Murat Atash tomorrow. Uh, I believe Kenny Weeb's going to pop by. You can kind of tee up what they've got going on after our show on Thursday afternoon. And we will get into a little world junior talk. We'll talk about Team Canada, Cole Perfetti, all of that. So uh, be sure to join us for a little WJ, a World Jays talk. Ken Weeb on the program. 
some more fun as we get into the weekend. And we'll talk about the final game before the, uh, we can do a half an hour on the Vegas Tampa game tonight and maybe a couple NFL games as well. And then Thursday, it is the holiday extravaganza. Paul Edmonds is going to join us. We will, you know, do a little bit more on the World Juniors. And then the second hour of the program, we're going to do some trivia. We will do the marble race and we'll send it off all the way. Uh, Double X Revolution, watching the NBA tonight. Yeah, well, the Raptors are losing all their players. I heard Nick Stauskas, Canadian, is getting recalled from the G League right now. But again, I'll take the games as opposed to uh, to cancellations, although tough to bet on anything when you don't know who the hell is in the lineup. Uh, folks, NFL games coming up at 6 o'clock. Uh, one final game a little later on, Vegas and Tampa. We'll check that out, and we'll be back here with you tomorrow at 1 p.m. right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Thanks to all of our sponsors. If you have the opportunity to support them heading into the holidays, please do so. Let them know we sent you from Winnipeg Sports Talk, F Apparel, Vita Health Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, and don't forget that special offer right now with the 2021 Grey Cup Champs Cup with Jim Beam purchases at Manitoba Liquor Marts. Look for the display. And of course, our betting partner, Cool Bet Canada. Use the promo code WST. If you've never played there before, you'll get a 100% bonus on your first deposit up to 200 bucks over at cool bet canada thanks to bob irving thanks to marat michael remus and all of you for making this such a great day in the chat we'll see you tomorrow 1 p.m right here on winnipeg sports talk oh my god oh! shut it down let's go thanks for tuning in to winnipeg sports talk daily Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.